Hello, and welcome to Back into Thrones. I'm Joseph. And I'm Michael. Today we're going to be reviewing the ninth episode of Game of Thrones titled Baylor. And it's a big one. <laughs> this is a, probably one of the biggest episodes. This is the episode that changed everything. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very excited. Expected television history, too. Yeah, television history, all of that. We're going to get into it all. I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about this episode. Like, for, like, I mean, like, I'm like, this is, it was very fun to rewatch this one. I haven't watched it in, like, three years. And I, I, this is one of the episodes where you look back and like, wow, I really missed watching the show. And it was a really good episode. Not to spoil the ratings, but... Very good episode. Very... Yeah, yeah we'll talk about our ratings in a few minutes. But, um... Before we get into yes. it, I'm going to do my spoiler disclaimer. Yes, exactly. Yep. For everything. Just in case, everything. For, for seasons one through eight of Game of Thrones, for A Song of Ice and Fire, books one through five, potentially books six and seven, but we might never know that one. If we get our theories correct. Yeah. The book Fire and Blood, The World of Ice and Fire, which I forget is also out. Yeah. And also House of the Dragon, potentially. Yeah. Though we're not going to intentionally spoil anything with that. Yeah. Although, if I do, I will announce spoilers so you can, you know, skip ahead. Yes. And then also, I already said everything, but I mean everything. Like, literally History, everything. fantasy, sci-fi, Marvel. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to mention we're that. We're pretty good at not doing, going off the rails with in terms of that, but we still well, could. I don't know why you say that because history itself in its own, I talk about a lot. And actually in this episode, yeah, I do plan on talking okay. about history. <laughs> okay. I've, I wrote a lot about that. So I'm very excited for this discussion. Yeah. All right. Are you ready, Joseph? Ready as ever. Let's get back into Thrones. So before we get into our deep analysis on our ratings and everything, we'll do a little quick recap. So everyone just remembers what happened yes. in this episode. So first we see Ned is visited by a Vars who pleads, for Ned to confess to committing treason for the good of the realm. Ned would rather die for honor, though, until Vars reminds him about his daughter. Yes. Cal and Rob, meanwhile, are trying to cross the twins to save Riveron, Cal's home, like, town, basically. And they agreed to cross the Green Fork on the condition that Rob will marry a Frey girl, which will become very important later on. Yes. Tyrion is to fight in the vanguard of the Lannister army, but on the bright side, he meets Shay and tells her about her his first love with Taisha, and their messed up story that followed. He misses the battle, but it turns out to be a victory. Uh, <laughs> turns out to be a victoria victory for them. Yes, it's a victory. Yay! But at what cost? Because Rob actually tricked them. He had sent a smaller force to attack Tywin, while he dealt with Jamie, and it ends with Jamie being captured and taken prisoner by the Starks. Yeah, and that is followed by John. Well, it's not followed by, but it's with John. Yeah, giving a Valyrian steel sword, Longclaw, by Jorah Mormont. For saving his life, but John cannot enjoy anything because he finds out that Rob is marching to war. Maester Aemon tells John that he has a difficult choice to make and reveals that he is Aemon Targaryen and has dealt with this issue before. Yes, the death of his family. Meanwhile, in Essos, Drogo falls off his horse and is dying. Daenerys is in danger and, is, and in her desperation, she turns to Miri Mazdur to save Drogo's life with magic. Miri Mazdur does so, but leads to Daenerys being attacked by Drogo's blood riders. And it ends with her going to labor and Jorah taking her inside the tent. And the very last scene is Ned confessing at the Sept of Baelor that he has committed treason under the impression that he would be allowed to live out his life on the watch. But Joffrey proves himself to be the worst and orders that Ned be executed immediately, which is carried out, making marking a major moment in television history. And that's all we that's our recap. Yes, now on to the actual episode yes, analysis. Our rating and all that. Since I already kind of spoiled where I go with this, this one was a 10 out of 10 for me. 
Yeah. If not only because of the very last scene in the episode. But even then, everything was just really good. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. I gave it a 10 out of 10. And I said the last scene alone isn't a reason enough. I mean, I feel like to have given this episode lesser than a 10 would have been a disservice to Ned Stark's character. And the entire story as a whole. Yeah, this is the biggest moment ever in the whole series. And yes, I am aware the Red Wedding is in this show too. Yeah, this is, this is, yeah. I think I the agree. Red Wedding was more, was more shocking. But I think this one was the best one for me. Yeah, I think the, how they built up to it and how, like, we'll talk about it when we get there, but, like, how, like, the acting is, how this is, everything about it, you, we're going to talk about it more, so I don't want to get into it right now, but, yeah, this is definitely a 10 out of 10, every, everything about it. Like, even, like, even not even considering that, considering that last scene, just, it's like, because you could feel the sense of the ending of the season. Like, it's very yeah. much setting you up it's for that. It's the penultimate episode. Yeah, exactly. It's the, your classic episode nine. Yeah. You know, before we realized there was such a thing as an episode nine, the dreaded nine. Yeah. Which they get rid of in season seven and eight, and then they wonder where they went wrong. Yes. Okay, so we're gonna get into it all, and we're we know how we do this. We do this every time with character by character. So we're gonna start off with talking about Ned Stark, but not the last scene. I should make not that the clear. last scene. No, no, that will be reserved for the end of the episode. We're yeah. just talking about that one scene, at the very beginning of the episode. The thing with the Ned stuff mm-hmm. is this scene that we're talking about right now, the opening scene of the episode. Is the end of Ned's story. Yeah. Like, even though he still has that last scene where like, he dies, this is the conclusion to his story. Do you I, agree with that? I'm going to disagree. Okay. So, in the books, yeah, 100%. Yeah, because I'll say right now, in the books, this scene is his last chapter. We do not see his death from his perspective. It is from Arya's perspective. Which I will be talking about we when we get talk. there. Yes. But the thing is, in this, in this, which is one of the better things about putting on TV, yeah. is that you're able to see multiple perspectives. Yeah. So in the book, it is more Arya's character arc, more so because it's focused in her chapter. Yeah. And also Sansa's. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. It's not so much Ned's story. Ned's yeah. barely in the chapter. Yeah. But I will say the show, how they handle it, they do make Ned's conclusion, which I will talk about. Okay. Yeah. And um, do you have anything to say before we, before I have anything to say? I mean, I have a few things to say, but I don't know what you're going to say. Okay. So... The basically the gist of this scene is Varus talking to Ned and basically begging him to like make peace. Basically, yes. so yeah, because in the books, this was I think they said it was the morning that Sansa. Yeah, he, I think it was in the, like right after. I that. think in the books it was the next day or the night of. It's it was something. It's something like that. But so it's so when Varus comes in, he basically tells Ned like, "Your blood's the last thing I want." He says that, and it shows to me that like the, what we've been talking about like. Varus wanted to collect Ned the way he did Tyrion later. It's proven right there. The last thing I want is your blood. Actually, I want you on my side. Yeah, because Ned is actually... He's kind of like Barristan Selmy, where the honorable Ned Stark is in support of someone. Likely, at least, at the very least, the North will go in that side. Yeah. If not, the at least the realm will see. Maybe this idea is not that bad. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. Because, like... It would it would bring it would bring in all the stuff and all people would be like oh Ned's a good guy, we should yeah. we, we should listen to what he has to say. Yeah, and also the Lannisters suck. <laughs> Not yeah. my words, the words of the lords. Yeah, and then Vars also says he wants like peace from Ned. And some I at first I was like a little bit like well you obviously want a Targaryen invasion, but then I'm like okay, but as we're talking about when we were talking about episode five or like a few weeks ago, 
Varus wants peace right now because he knows that the things that the, the stuff that's happening on the SOC front are not moving as quickly. So he needs like things to stabilize a little bit here before he can revamp the war. But I think Varus should realize at this point it's kind of too late. <laughs> no, because if Ned, if Ned did bend the knee to Joffrey, yeah, and then he was allowed to go like to the wall or something, yeah, Rob would have been would have had no reason to continue the war. Peace would have been done. That would that would leave Renly and Stannis. Yeah. But the thing is that now the Lannisters are stronger to deal with them. Tywin Lannister can easily deal with Renly, and Stannis does not have enough support to actually lay claim. Yeah, it was the chaos that Joffrey unleashed in killing Ned that gave Stannis the opportunity to continue the war because it revamped up Rob's cause, which kept the Lannisters from going to fight either Renly or Stannis, which allowed Renly and Stannis to fight each other. Yeah, so. If you cut out the Stark threat, Renly would have been easily dispatched of, and yeah. that will we never we'll never know obviously. But it would have been it would have been him between the Lancers. It would have been more of an even fight. Yeah, and Stannis unlike more likely than not would not have been able to get the support he did. Yeah, or if he did, he would have been just against Tywin by himself anyway. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I see that one hundred percent. So then Ned basically refuses the peace. He actually says like Stannis is the rightful heir, heir to the throne, and Varys is like. You don't get it, do you? I actually, I said, at first, I thought it was, I at first thought it was ironic that Cersei thinks that Stannis is the bigger threat. Yeah. Over Rob, but the thing is that actually, no, both are kind of dangerous in their own well, right. Because Cersei recognized that those ch- her children are indeed bastards, and so Stannis does have the right to claim, and he knows it. But he doesn't have as much support as the other contenders here. Yeah. No, I was just thinking because when I was originally watching, I was like. But Rob's the bigger threat. But no, not really. They're both kind of very big threats in the Yeah. Room. And don't get Stannis is at Dragonstone. He can easily cut off King's Landing from trade. Is that, and take, and block I guess them. his fleet isn't that big enough because he doesn't seem to do that. Yeah, I guess not. I would like at least pirate, but I guess Stannis is too like the way he is. Like, you know, like he would never go to pirate. I guess his first priority was making sure he had support somewhere else. Yeah. And that was in the Stormlands. And then after that he was now we can go to war. Okay, yeah. That's my only theory. I don't know if that's right. Yeah. You should probably know that, but I don't. Yeah. And then on that further, when Ned keeps going, but Stannis is the rightful heir, I wrote that even now, after everything, Ned has learned nothing. He's in prison, and war is looming over the whole country. And yeah. he still insists that Stannis is the rightful heir. He's still clinging to that honor that got him and the country into this mess. Yeah. And like in Ned's mind, it's like, the Lancers tried to kill my son. They did this. They killed Robert. And Varus is like, this is not about, like, blood feuds or rivalry or any of that. This is about being a leader and trying to keep the Seven Kingdoms from imploding. Yeah. Because I was saying how it was his grudge that was holding him back. Yeah. But later it'll be the love he has for another that brings, at least in theory, peace. Yeah, that's actually what I end off on. Because I say, like, Ned doesn't care. Like, he tells he tells Varus that, I don't care what they do with me. They can kill me. I'm going to die for my beliefs. Like. But, Varus, as Varus poses, are you willing to risk the lives of the people you love? Like, it's one thing to say, I'll die for my beliefs. But are you willing to put Sansa's line on the line? Sansa's <laughs> life on the line. Sansa's line on the line? Shut up. <laughs> Sansa's life on the line. And that's what he leaves them with. He's like, I'll leave you to it. Can you put your loved ones at risk? Yeah, actually, it's a, bit, a little bit different from the book. Because in the book, I think Varus specifically threatens Sansa. He Does says, he? He says, basically, I think he says, like, 
your daughter will be suffering too. And Eddie goes, don't hurt her. She's just a girl. And then he goes, yeah, well, remember, remember what happened to Rainey's with yeah. Tyler Lannister? Rainey's is and the then child he, of Rhaegar. And then he says, the next thing that could be brought to your dungeon is food or your daughter's head. The choice is in your hands. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. And that's where the chapter ends. Oh, my God. So they're beginning the whitewashing of ours here a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, that, I did think about that, but I kind of forgot that I it's, thought about it's that. It's a little note I had because I forgot about that, like how brutal Varys can be. Varys is not good in the book. Yeah. And then, no, he is not. I don't <laughs> know why I just didn't think yeah. that didn't pop in, but no, no, he is not good. But then the last thing I wrote was that now Ned has to make a choice between his honor and his family. Yeah. He has the opportunity here to learn from his mistakes and seek peace rather than war and really protect the innocents. The yeah. innocence that he so much tried to defend earlier in the season when he refused to, when he showed mercy to Cersei. Yeah. Now he really has the chance to show whether he really believes that innocence should be protected. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that Joffrey doesn't we'll, have we'll find, thinking. <laughs> we'll find out what his decision was later, but... Oh. <laughs> I think we all know. We, spoiler we, alert, he chooses innocence. Is it spoiler to say Ned Star- what Ned Stark does? We think it's just like common knowledge at this point. All right, whatever. But still, um, yeah, that, that's all I had for them. So I guess next is we're gonna yeah. stay in the south. Yeah. So we're we're kind of done with Ned Stark right now. I mean, we're well. I mean, as I said earlier, his character still has one more moment, unlike in the book. Yeah. But still, technically, this is the last thing we have to say about Ned Stark. But it's not really. Yeah. We're we'll we'll have our farewells to Ned at the end of this because it's a very, it's a big yeah. moment. So yeah, we're going to stay in the South, and we're going to move on to Robin Catelyn. Mm-hmm. Theon starts, like, shooting down the, the ravens. ravens from the twins. It actually led me to a weird thought. Like, why didn't the phrase just send a raven from the other tower? Well, the thing is that that raven would have had to go the same way anyway. Yeah. It was a well, weird thing. They could have sent, I guess, no, you know what? I have an <laughs> answer. I guess if they sent it to Jamie at the other side, then Jamie wouldn't be able to do anything anyway because Rob's on the other side of the river anyway. I guess he could have sent a raven to Tywin, but but Tywin already knew he was there. I, I, it was just a funny thing I thought of. Like even books that showed kind of like it's whatever. It's a, it was a I'll say of... I'll say that there it was more complicated, and the phrase seemed to be only half-heartedly into that. Yeah, that's because true. they immediately send out riders to meet with the, with Rob. Yeah, I was gonna say the king, but he's not the king yet. Spoilers. Yeah. And this is actually the introduction of House Frey. Yes, but I also wanted to say I'm glad they brought in Theon's archery skills again. Yeah. I feel like this is the last time we see it, though. We'll see. I, we'll probably be surprised again, I imagine. Let's hope I'm right. You're right, not me. We'll see. But I still thought it was nice that they brought that back in. Yeah. And in this introduction um, to House Frey, we see that, like, we get the idea that they're not loyal bannermen, you know, they've and how they've never failed to exact their toll. Yes. And also, I liked how. Rob was saying, I should go in there and, and meet with Walter Frey. And then Theon says, and the great John Umber say, if you go in there, you're either going to be sold to the Lannisters or they'll just kill you or imprison you. And all three of those things happen when Rob does eventually enter the twins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not, he's killed, I should say. Yeah. His lords are imprisoned and, or sold to the Lannisters. Yeah. So it's just interesting that they, I don't know if it was intentional foreshadow or if they just, Stumbled on that. No, I think it was definitely meant to be like from D and D. I mean, like this idea of like the phrase are treacherous. Like, I mean, I'll say it's about D and D. Their main focus, and we've got, we've talked talked about this before. 
their main focus has always been the Red Wedding. So oh. they probably and they wanted you to build up the Red Wedding. They would do. So okay. I can imagine they actually were a little clever here with trying to they want to make you realize the phrase are slimy characters. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And like this this whole situation, like the, this is the beginning of the build up for the Red Wedding. Mm-hmm. This idea that they have to cross this bridge to get to Jamie, get away from Tywin. Yeah. They have no choice. So they have no choice but to do whatever the phrase wants. It's the beginning of that. And then Catelyn chooses to go. Yes, and then her remarks on Wal- and then so the great John rem- so oh my god. So Catelyn yeah. says that Walder Frey will never harm her. Yeah. And then the great John says, unless he saw some profit in it. Yeah. Another setup. In the books, Catelyn says that and then thinks what the great John says. Yeah. So so I feel like the way the show presents it, it makes it seem like Catelyn is un- unaware of the danger of Walder Frey. Where yeah. in the book she is very much aware that Walder Frey is not someone who is easily trifled with. Yeah. Because I just, well, obviously they couldn't really get around this because yeah. they had to have it stated so we know what the character, but they couldn't have Catelyn say it after she said that. Yeah. So I get why, but yeah. I still prefer the book version. And I also have to say too, a lot of fans criticize Catelyn with um not going back to Winterfell. They do. Oh yeah, a lot of people say she should have went back. What difference she would have made against the Ironborn? I don't know. But like, oh, she should have went with her other children. But I'm gonna say it right here. This is the very reason why she's important. She knows the Riverlands. You know, she knows how these to act with these people. She can, she can do diplomatic things. She can help Rob. She cannot do anything for Bran Rickon. You know, she can't do anything at Winterfell. Yeah, I was actually gonna say, family, duty, honor. That all three of those compel her to be with. Her. Rob, the child who needs her the most, yeah. Then with Bran and Rickon, who don't need her, right and now. and her daughters are hostages. Oh well, she believes Arya too, but they believe that their daughters are hostages. I can think. You think she's gonna go to Winterfell and just sit around? No, she's gonna do whatever she can to make sure she gets those daughters back. So for yeah. people to criticize Callan, I really don't think they understand Callan's character. Yeah, as of right now, Bran and Rickon are in the least amount of danger. Exactly. A lot of people go, "Oh well," she, like it's like, how could she know that Theon was gonna do? It? I mean, she knew that Theon was gonna, could betray them, but how could she know that they were gonna take Winterfell? In fact, had she gone back to Winterfell, she might might have been more of a hindrance to Bran and Rickon escaping. Yeah. Though I will say, would that have been the worst thing in the world if they couldn't escape? I'll stop. But I mean, no. But she would have been more of a hindrance. You're right, because the characters that do help them are ones who are more able to well, yeah, adapt. It's a, it's a total. Well, he, he, they, he carries bread. But yeah, ca- imagine Callan walking, like, hiding and stuff. No, I can imagine her doing that. Yeah, I can't really she, see she, she was required with Rob, and so she did what she had to do for her family. And I don't agree with anyone being like, she should have. Didn't George Martin intend for her to go back to Winterfell? Yeah, he, so in his original outline, he intended for Catelyn and Arya, actually, to be with Bran when he goes north of the Wall. And he intended for Catelyn to die north of the Wall, by the way, Walkers, I believe. So he, there's many times where he tries to get her back there, but... In George's words, like, Helen just refuses to go because that's not her character. She's got to be where she feels she needs to be. And I, I mean, I agree with what Helen, like, I don't, I don't think she should have went to, I mean. Yeah, we, we agree with Helen's choice. Yeah. However it turns out. Yeah, exactly. And so she, this is it. She goes in with the phrase. And we'll talk about the next criticism in a little bit, but, um. Yeah, I have a question for you about Walter Frey. Yeah. Does he look 90? No. No, but, no. He, but the actor is really good. He's a, oh my god, David Bradley reads his name. He's such a good actor. I mean, Filch from Filch. Harry Potter. He looks a little different, though. Yeah. Filch, I feel like, is more lean. More, like, scraggly looking. He looks more, I don't want to say yeah. lordly, but lordly in the show. Like, yeah. You, you can tell he looks, like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, a very good actor, you know. But um, I also want to talk about, like, how we were just about how, like, 
Oh, Sorry. you had something to say? About Filch? Yeah. In both <laughs> versions, he's, he's kind of a dick. I mean, I'm going to say, not going to lie, he's worse than Harry Potter, honestly, in my opinion. Oh, no. Walter Frey. I'm going to say one reason. Dolores Umbridge, I guess two words. He supported her. That alone <laughs> makes him worse than Walter Frey. <laughs> Umbridge is the worst person to have ever been on the literary or page or the screen or anything. That's... Anyone every anyone who does anything that's almost as bad pales in comparison to Dolores Umbridge. Just say her name and you know that person sucks. Oh my god. Uh, I mean, like, I agree that he's bad for supporting her, but Walter Frey did a lot of worse things than support an asshole. Yeah, but he supported <laughs> Umbridge. Okay. You can't do worse than that, and Voldemort is a character in that series. I'm not... I'm not going to debate this with you. I can't. They're, they're both assholes. But there is clearly <laughs> one who was worse. I need you to say it. I can't. I can't say. Walter Frey is a piece of shit. And... And so is Dolores Umbridge and Filch were supporting her. Umbridge is worse, though. At least we got there. Yeah, we can get I'll there. I'll get you on the other side before the Red Wedding. I swear. No. Um, no. You're, it's gonna be, we're going to talk about the Red Wedding. You're going to be like, isn't Filch worse? I'm going to be like, no. Yes. No. Anyways, but on David Bradley, though, very good at portraying these assholes. Yes. And then he was also in the show called The Strain. I think so. I, I watched a few episodes. I have never watched it. It, was, it, was, it. it disgusted me. It was good, but it wasn't for me. It, it was a very good show. It disgusted me. But anyway, I heard he was a good guy in that one. Yeah, he was, I believe. So good for him. Yeah, so he's yeah, he's good. Anyways, to the show, though. Okay. Um, I, it's interesting that we were talking about the phrase. Like, we were like, oh, they're assholes are slimy just now. But in this scene, you don't get that sense. No, actually, I was going to say that in later seasons, we see how all... They betray all the phrase, at least all the male phrase, because sexism, yeah, as being terrible people, yeah. But here they do a much better job of showing the diversity that the, that is in the books. We see that his heir Stebron Frey is very kind and a not, very good guy. Of course, he dies before the red wedding. Yeah, and this whole thing, and Walter Rivers too. They're very. Like, I don't think his name is. Oh, he might. There might be multiple. Yeah, but he's like very like. They're like father, like be nice. Like this is a noble lady. This is Lady of Winterfell. Like we have, you know, and like they're like definitely trying to calm their father. You don't get the sense that they're going to be murderers. No, well, Severn Frank is not. But... Yes, Severn Frank is not, and I don't know about Walter Rivers, but like I don't remember. I know, but I know that eventually I will talk more about the complexity that is oh, House Frey. I was actually going to say something right here. Oh yeah, about go. that. Sorry, not all phrases are bad. I'm going to say I don't like the phrase, but I mean I like some of the phrase. They're not like when we talk about the Red Wedding, we'll get more into it. But there yeah. are phrases that were left out of the Red Wedding because they loved the Starks. Yeah. And they're still out there. And there were phrases who only did what they had to do because they had to survive. Yeah. We'll now, talk that's more not about... excusing it. It's just... Yeah. It's just not not everyone went into the Red Wedding as the show portrays yeah. them. Like, screw the Starks. Let's butcher them. Like, when we get more to later seasons of phrase, we'll talk more about the dynamic that would have led to their yeah. decision. Yeah, of course. as Because it's such a big family. They all won't be in agreement. Have you ever been... Thanksgiving, yeah, exactly. Unless you're not from America, then Christmas. But yeah, the show later on will make them all like they're all just one big group of assholes. But as of right now, you don't get that sense. Mm-hmm. And I got, and I like that. Do you have anything to <laughs> oh, say? I thought you had more. No, I had. I noted how Walter Frey built up to the terms he gave. Yeah, he did. I was actually going to say that too, but um, real quickly in that case though, because <laughs> he took on him building up. He talks 
shit about Hostatoli not coming to his wedding. Ho- yeah. Hostatoli or Host? I don't know. Hostatoli, whatever. No, is. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> and Callan has to defend him. Hostatoli, Hostatoli, whatever it is. Hoster, Hoster. He was not, he, I guess he wasn't a good lord. I think Ned wouldn't have cared. He would have still attended weddings. We know that he did visit Bruce Bolton, so yeah, I guess you're yeah, right. Yeah, I think Hoster, like Hostatoli, I'm going to call him Hostatoli, I'm sorry. It's just coming out of my mouth that I'll, way. I'll say Hoster. Yeah, like Hoster he, Toaster. Yeah. But he was like, he's very much alienating his own lord. Which is another build-up for the Red Wedding. You can't piss up off your nobility. Yes. So th- that's the beginning of the build-up. He starts talking about always being, like, left yeah, out. I said that he's, he notes all the slights Hoster Tully gave him. Yeah. But although it's because he's of his own selfish and na- nasty behavior. Because like, I wouldn't want to be in the vicinity of Walter Frey. Yeah, but, but I, it is Hoster I mean, we'll job. talk more about Ho- Hoster, whatever <laughs> it is. We'll talk more about him in later seasons. But he's not... Like, Harold remembers him as this perfect father, but as the story goes on, we come to realize that he was not that great. No, he did some messed up stuff. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, things that I would never forgive if I were in... The shoes of someone. Yeah. Well, we will talk more about that in later. Yeah, because there's a lot to impact that the show does not. Yeah. And on terms of Walter Frey building up, you can just go right into it, because well, I have something to say about it, too, but... Yeah, <laughs> I actually noticed something before that. Oh, did you? Which is that the Catalan says that if you climbed, if you were able to climb up to the battlements, you'd see the host at your doors. Mm-hmm. The reason why she says that in the books is because he can't walk, so he gets carried everywhere. Yeah. In the show, it like makes less sense because he makes literally it, can do it that. Like he has bad legs, like he can't really walk as easily. That's true. And then, so what did I write? I thought I wrote this all down, but now I'm looking at I always it. hate when that happens. When you think you have it all down and it's not yeah. there. Okay, so I know. I'll just read what I have and yeah. see if it works. We'll it see flows. if it connects. Okay. Yeah. So, I also noted how Walder Fright is also tied to the House Lannister. Yeah. Because Walder Frey, um, his son, Emin Frey, married Tywin's sister, Jenna Frey. So he does Jenna have... Lannister. Yeah. So we, they do are Lannister Freys who are in the story. Yeah. So I just wanted to keep that open that we see that Walder Frey does not care about family ties as much as we think. Yeah. Which also opens the idea that if he's so ready to betray Tywin. He could. Who is. No, no. If he's so open to betray Tywin, who is what his stepson? No, no, no. Son-in-law? No, Jenna Lannister's his daughter-in-law. Some related, familiar related. If they're familiarly related, what to stop him from betraying the Starks? Yeah. So yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, the show doesn't get into it here. Yeah, but it is in in the book. Yeah. So the things I noted was that Hoser meant. I mean, Hoser. Walder Frey mentions how he doesn't get respect from Hoser Tully, and how no one really seems to care about how Frey. So he's building up to, what do I want from you? I want to make sure that I have the respect I deserve. Yeah. Did you write? More? I don't know. I thought I had such a book. This is more in terms of Catelyn. So, as per usual, Catelyn gets blamed again by fans for this. And, like, she gets blamed for the whole wedding arrangement, which leads to the Red Wedding, because, go figure, everyone hates Catelyn for whatever reason. But, as we just said, he was clearly hinting at what he wanted. Talking about, like, how he was always looked down on by the great houses and, you know, getting no solid marriages. Catelyn has no choice to make terms, because, like, it's like, like, we need you right now. Mm-hmm. And you're obviously building up to something. 
we, I cannot not, you know, I and can't I, say no. I believe in the books, it says at a certain point where it says the breast was all haggling. So we know that there wasn't just do this and she said, okay, we know that. Yeah, there was more like working down there, terms. There could have been things saying that Rob has to marry this, this, that. And then she said, no, we'll just have just one of your daughters. Or maybe he has to do this and, and it was, that's the least of what Walter Frey Yeah, maybe he wanted like every single one of the Starks married. Yeah, which he does kind of know. No, he gets Arya and Rob. I'm saying okay. he could have asked for Sansa, Bran, Rickon. Because he needed to get rid of people. He needed to get yeah. rid of these people. So, he pro- yeah, it probably was like, he gave a really high order and kind of was like, well, I can't do that much, so we're going to have to work in the- around the middle. And in the end, Walter Frey probably just wanted that one marriage. So it probably just be really big ter- Like, that's yeah. how you usually make terms. Yeah. Like, sometimes you go with really high. And then you go and down. Then you go down to what you And, of want. course, he has Oliver serve Rob yeah. as squire. Of course... In the idea of blaming Catelyn, we can't forget that Rob accepts the terms. That's what I was going to talk about in the next thing. Yeah, Rob, just to get onto that, Rob accepts these terms. He is just, he, he's the one who breaks the terms. Yeah, he accepts and then breaks them. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about that next season. And I'm kind of on the last scene of yeah, this. Yeah, I, I moved on to the last scene now, too. Well, not the last scene. Well, the, the last scene of the phrase. Yeah, so I said that in this scene, in the they make Rob seem more mature than he is in the books. Because yeah. in the show, he seems to expect more terms where he keeps saying and yeah where i think in the books he keeps trying to accommodate this in his mind like he's like oh well ari won't like that and then Catelyn has to cut him off and say and he wants this yeah and then rob goes off and then she goes and and he keeps like getting yeah. reveal that no there's more and you have to expect more from this yep you have to give people stuff to get support yeah and then and then i think in both book and show he accepts unflinchingly which yeah. is and he will come to regret that later. Well, he apparently he didn't agree. <laughs> yeah. He said, eh, that could be subverted. Yeah. And that's all I had for the fray part of the episode. So yeah. then we get to Rob and Callan's last scene. And it opens up with Callan, like, looking out. Waiting. Yeah. So, actually, I wanted to talk about what we missed in this scene. Okay. Which is the Battle of the Whispering Wood. Yeah. Which they don't really go off to explain, but I kind of wanted to give a brief summary of what happened. Okay. So, what this battle was, was the breaking off of the Siege of River Run. Yeah. So, what Rob Stark did was draw Jamie out into, from the siege yeah. and cut down his men in battle. So, he took him away and then surprise attacked him. Yeah. So, the show doesn't really explain this battle at all. So, I just wanted yeah. to give a little bit. You can find more of it if you look it up online or if you read the and book. I, and I believe the show will later reference this battle. Yeah. I think it's in Season 7 they reference it. The Whispering Wood. But it also goes to the theme of, like, how, what this episode does with cutting out the action. For, obviously, for budgetary reasons. Like, Callan watches the battle with her own eyes. Well, I think she sees hints of it, but she doesn't see everything. I think she sees... She sees it. I don't think she sees everything. I think she sees... I think because it's dark. It's dark, but she... But, but like, basically, if you're... If they have the book accurate, you'd see the battle. You'd see hints. Like, we see Jamie pass by at one point, and I think we hear the battle. I don't think we... Are you sure? I'm pretty sure we see the attack. I think we see... I don't think we see every ounce of it because she has to be well, told. Not every, not every ounce. We see a lot of she it. She has to be told aspects yeah. of the battle later. I'm pretty sure we do see like a good chunk of it though. I don't think it's like just okay. a little bit of it. But um, and then when Rob returns, like the look in Callan's face, is, it reveals all. You know, like like it's happiness, it's relief, it's also pride because this is his first battle. Beyond, yeah. he could have easily died. So here he is returning, and not only is he returning alive, victorious. Like for any mother of a medieval in the medieval world, like this has to be a moment of pride. Like, you won your first battle. Yeah. Very well, too. Very decisively. 
And then later, obviously, it's revealed yeah. that he, not only that, he captures Jamie. Yeah, and we see, like, she's slowly breaking down, but trying to keep it together. Yeah. Which is really hard, because battle is a very intense thing. Oh, yeah. And I love the way that they both acted the scene out, because Rob is riding back triumphantly, and Catelyn's just trying to hold back the fact that, thank God he made it, or thank the gods he made it. Yeah, thank the gods. And then, um, do you have anything about Jamie when he comes in? I wanted to talk about where his sword was. Yeah. So... In the show, he just makes a joke like, I would give you my sword, but I seem to have lost it. In the books, it's more of a dark humor on Jamie's part because he left it in one of Rob's noblemen, Rickard Carstark. He left it in one of his son's necks, I think. Yeah, like that. He lost I think it. it was, I think it was Harrion Carstark. So it was, yeah, it was Harrion or Torn. Harrion or Torn. He killed both of them, anyway. So I just wanted to note that in the books, it is more about his dark personality rather yeah. than just a joke. Yeah, it's pretty messed up what he says. And then I also talked about Jamie demand wanting one on one. Yeah, fight. I had that too. Yeah, like it's like he says like we could save thousands of lives if like you fight me right now. Kind of like later what John does with Ramsey, let's save lives by just fighting you and me. And whereas they portray Ramsey as kind of more like cowardly and like evil with denying it, here they portray Rob doing it smartly and rightly so. It's like Rob, Rob is victorious. Rob has the like won the battle. Yeah. Much like how Ramsey had the larger force. Like, I don't need to go with these terms because I can just beat you right now. Yeah. That's actually the thing I want to know is that unlike Ramsey, Rob already won. Why are you going to decide the victory of the battle after you already won? Yeah. It's like, who who in their right mind would do that? And Jamie is known to be the best warrior in Westeros. So it's like, yeah. why am I going to kill get myself killed for this? And really think about it. Would that really have ended the war? No. If Rob Stark killed Jamie, you think Tywin's just gonna be like, well, he did it honorably in bat in a no. combat, single combat. No. no. Someone like Ned might do that. Maybe not even. Maybe not even. Tywin would definitely be pissed off. And Ned's death would be guaranteed. Yeah. Of course it is already guaranteed. That is neither here nor they, there. They don't know that though. And they also another thing I actually want to get into from the books too that's important is that Rob makes the line like after James is scored away that he sent two thousand men to their graves. Mm-hmm. That's not what happens in the books. I actually wanted to talk about that in the Tyrion section. Oh. But I also noted here that I also noted that here, unless you can say it. If well, you want. I'm, it's kind of like a little bit for Ruth Bolton, who's not on the show yet. In the books, basically, real quick, he split his force into two. Half the army went to face Tywin, half the army went to face um, Jamie and save Riveron. Ruth Bolton was given command of the other army. And so this is kind of the build of the Red Wings. You can see in the books him starting to like weaken everyone else but his own forces which i'll leave it there yeah and i mean i didn't really say anything else i you basically said everything i was gonna say yeah. later but i also thought what was wrong with that plan in the show i think it's budgetary reasons it's easier to portray like rob's doing one thing in season two than having two armies face off i guess it's just it's that they probably wanted to make it easier for the audience to understand it's just that it doesn't really matter because we don't see anything anyway we don't see the battle so we could have said there were twelve thousand, not you know I there agree. Thousand or something. But I think, like I said, I think it was also like for but viewers in season to two, viewers to comprehend it. But yeah, but in season two, we could have seen, we didn't have to see Ruth Bolton's actions. We don't see it in the books anyway. Yeah, I agree. So we could have just seen, like, heard that Ruth Bolton's warring well, in the western, e on the eastern side. Yeah, I'm trying not to go too into the books though. But I feel like one of the reasons we don't really see what Ruth Bolton's doing is because. He's not doing anything. There's no battles, right? In the book, too? And that makes my point even more. Like, why even bother? Well, like I said, I think it's viewer comprehension. But what, I, don't, I don't agree. Why can't they comprehend? I don't know. Two armies? 
don't know. I feel like I feel like D and D. I feel like D and D think people are dumber than they actually are. Yeah, I mean, like easily. But then again, a lot of people do say how Game of Thrones is a hard show to follow. So imagine you had Ruth Bolton leading a whole other campaign. Well, you could have said a, a second Northern host. We didn't even have to say who was leading it. Oh, I mean, just like the idea. Like, I mean, some viewers might not. I don't know. I sometimes, but sometimes people, I doubt people. You know. So I, I mean, guess. like, I agree. I think they should have just left the way it was in the books, but um, it's not too much of a change yet. It's well, actually, no, no. It's as I said, change. the Ruth Bolton, yeah, it's pretty big. And then, yeah, then the last thing is Rob makes this speech about like saving Ned, which is so sad. Yeah, because... it's kind of over. It's over at this point. Yeah, another theme in this episode too is like how about Cersei being the one in control? Yeah, which we think until it's too late to realize that it's not true. That's not the case. Yeah, but that's um that's the end of um Robin Count the episode. It was very, it was very much a chunk of the episode, I would say. Yeah. So sticking with the South, we're going to move on to Tyrion. Before we do, I just want to say that there is going to be um, trigger warning for yeah. sexual assault and harassment. Yes. So if that's something that is too much for you to do, then I do advise just skipping this section. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tyrion's episode opens in the camp. Yeah. And he's Tywin's, the, yeah. the war council's talking. And I noted how... Tywin seems to misjudge Rob Stark. Yeah. And I noted how that costs him a lot. Yeah. Because he sees him as inexperienced, too young. But it seems like Tywin didn't learn from history. Or himself. I don't know how old he was when he did that, though. Because he's 56 at this point in the book. Oh, that's true. You know what? You're right. We're talking about the Tarbeck Rain Rebellion, which is... Oh, I was talking about the Stepstones. I don't think he was command. Oh, He wasn't the leader. Yeah, he has a history of being yeah. a warrior, though. So the War of the Stepstones took place in long before, during yeah. the reign of Aegon V or Jaehaerys II? I think Jaehaerys II, who is not in the show. Yes, we'll talk about that. But, yeah, anyway, that was the reign right before Aerys. Either way you look at it, depending on if you're a show, only a show watcher or a book reader. Yeah. And then the reign Tarbeck Rebellion was um, around the same time. Yeah. So... I don't know how old he was at the time, but he wasn't in the show. Rob is seventeen or eighteen at this point. You, yeah, you're right. In Rob, the books, Tywin Rob not is, be that old. In the books, Rob is fifteen, so he wouldn't be that. Age. Yeah, I guess you're right. There's but no way that is neither here nor there because there's still the other history, which is Daeron the Young Dragon. Yeah, which he yeah. was. I think he, Varys actually. I thought it was Varys too. Varys when he was telling Ned about about Rob, he says like boys that are have been known to be conquerors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Daeron. But even then. Daron the Young Dragon, he's the one to conquer Dorne. Only for like a few weeks though, so it wasn't very long. It was a few, I thought it was a year. It might have been a year. I know that they all say it for a fortnight, but that's probably just a oh, overstatement. Gee, I don't know though. I'm good. I'll say it right now. I don't It was probably know. just an overstatement. It probably was longer anyway. Or yeah, anyway, that's not here. But yeah, he con there's actually a lot of parallels between young, the young dragon and Rob the Young yeah. Wolf. At, at the point he did it too, the dragons were not in House Targaryen anymore. Yeah. And he actually there was actually this very interesting thing where he was talking about conquering Dorne, and all the lords were like, but we don't have a dragon. He goes, you have one right here, in yeah. reference to, uh, to himself. Yeah. I mean, the thing that also, though, is that he did eventually lose. He was murdered. Yeah, young. Young. Betrayed, yeah. Yes. So, that being said, yes, he did underestimate Rob, but also, historically, it doesn't always just work out. But there are, he, Daron still did wreak havoc on Dorne. Yeah. And conquer it. Yeah. So, Tywin should have been more aware of that. Just saying. Yeah, definitely. Their own history speaks differently. And yeah, and then the only other thing I wrote about this scene was that 
what the Vanguard is, which is basically the front line, the first ones to charge into battle. Oh, I was going to tell me what the show left out. Good. You did In that. terms of why they wanted Tyrion the Hill Tribesmen to be the Vanguard? Yeah. I, I was actually going to talk more about the Battle of the Green Fork later when... Oh, yeah, but I'm gonna say the, I'll say the, what the plan was, because it doesn't matter for the after part. Yeah. So, Tywin, even though, in, uh, as I said in the last episode, Tywin said, you guys are known for your being good warriors. I was like, that's a little weird, because I feel like that's not the case. The reason why is because Tywin wants the Hill Tribesmen and Tyrion to be in the Vanguard, because he thinks they're not disciplined, so they'll break very easily, which will make Rob, who he believes to be on the other side, get a little, like, cocky, cocky and overcommit. Yeah, and then get himself trapped. Yeah, like, to flank the Lannisters, because the yeah. Lannisters will turn and crush him. That's his, his plan. That was his plan. So that's why he, it's, so it's not like he wants, like, as Tyrion says, like, there's better ways to kill me that won't damage the war effort. Actually, this is to win the battle. Mm-hmm. It's actually more strategic than not. And Tyrion's only more collateral because the Hiltrim said, like, we fight with Tyrion. Yeah. Ty was just like, beat Rob and lose Tyrion? Is that even a hard question? Yeah. Like, I can let him die in battle, because that's fine with me. Just, as long as he's not kidnapped, we're good. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's, so it's more than, like, the show doesn't want really to get into the reasons why, but... But Tyrion okay. doesn't know this in the books at this point. Yeah, he exactly. He discovers this after the battle. Yeah. And it's also interesting to see how much power Tywin has here. Like, Tyrion's arguing for his life here. Then Tywin just says, there will be no more on this. And Tyrion does, doesn't argue anymore. He leaves. Yeah, he just leaves. Like, he just lets Tywin, like, I, I'd be like, my life is at stake here. I've never, I'm, a, I'm like a dwarf. I can't fight. I've never been trained for this. But Tywin left. But Tywin's, Tywin's, yeah, but Tywin's such a presence. He's like, okay, I guess I'm doing this. I'm not going to argue. Yeah. And then he's, then, on the bright side, though, he meets Shay. On the bright side of who? This day. For him, okay. He, like, I guess, I guess the show doesn't have the same story arc for Shay anyway, so it's not that bad. Yeah. So I was just gonna say, like, I guess we'll get into right now. Shay is one of the things from the show, book to show, that is better. Yeah. Shay is one hundred percent a better character, and I actually do. I like Shay in the show. Mm-hmm. Like in the books, like she's clearly just like using Tyrion for money, which he told her that that was the way it was yeah. gonna work, but he tricked himself. Whereas but, the show makes her more nuanced of a character, actually loves Tyrion. And actually, George Martin just recently said that this was actually one of the things he liked about the show. When did he say that? In his recent blog post. Oh, did he? Yeah, he actually was talking about um, House of the Dragon. He said, like, a similarity with, uh, like, there are certain characters he likes better. And he talked about Shay. Okay. Being a bit be- better in the show. Because it's more nuanced. Yeah, and we'll talk more about Shay. Like, she gets more involved with things. So it's like, it works very well. So... We like we'll talk more about her, but I just want to say right now, Shay is definitely one of the better characters. Yeah. I also noted that she's foreign in the show. Yeah, she's not it, foreign in the books. In the books, we have no idea where she came from. Yeah, which, I mean, that might be a big deal, or it might be just not important. Yeah, I agree. Because I know there are theories that oh, she's a Dornish agent. Oh, she's a Vars agent. Yeah, I, I don't know. What I think she she's is. a Vars agent. I mean, they all make sense. Where in the show, they're just like, no, she's from a little raft. Although they don't say that here. Because Cersei figures it out in season two. Yeah. Which I don't know why Tyrion wouldn't have because Cersei's handmaiden was from the Wrath. But wouldn't Tyrion have been around? I guess Cersei did, would Who not have been around Tyrion, so never mind. Yeah, but I just want to put that. Cause it's all, that's all I have to say for the introduction of Shay, though. There's not really much to say. But other than what Tyrion says there comes like around in season four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also thought it was ironic how he promised her safety when in season three and four Tywin makes them not safe like yeah it's a, it's a dangerous relationship so Tyrion yeah. just lied yeah but he wouldn't have known that 
That's true. In, it's in season. Like, he didn't think his father cared that much about it. That's true. And then in the um, the next scene where they're, we really get they're playing games. I thought it was a great way of showing Braun and Shay's personalities. I agree. I was going to say, because yeah. We see Shay's tolerance for pain. Yeah. Which, read that however you want. And then we also see Braun's uh, into violence where he's talking about knife games. Yeah. I. Yep. But then we also see Tyrion's where he liked intelligent games. Because he had, he, he's like, whereas they, whereas Shay and Braun had to live in a violent world of like the, on the bottom, Tyrion grew up on the top. And he never got the training to be like a warrior or anything like that. So he always had his mind. So he adapts like that. And also, it kind of shows that he might be a sore loser where <laughs> yeah, where he doesn't want to play their games. Just, he wants them to play his game. Just a little bit. Or it might just be that he didn't want to lose fingers. Which I understand. Or he, he didn't like being fingers. burned, which also fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. So either way, one way you look at it, Tyrion's a sore loser. Another way you look at it, he doesn't want to get hurt. Yeah. Either way, fine. Yeah. And then when he plays, like, his game with Braun, he's like, you've been north of the wall. What? He, wh- what? I said, I thought, I didn't know what to make of that. Because he's in the book, too. Yeah, what'd he do? We don't know. He just says work, and then that's all that we know. Like, he kill someone? I actually, I have theories. Oh, you do? Okay. Well, no, I don't really have theories. I just have questions. I said, he might be a wildling. Come down from the wall. That's possible. He killed a female wild... He came... He killed a woman who came out with the, at him with an axe. Wildlings are the ones who have women, more women warriors. So yeah, though I don't think D and D thought that through. He might be working for Mance Raider, an agent for Mance Raider. And this is more the books than the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, this should make that clear. Well, the show was the one that mentioned the woman came coming at him with an axe. I don't know if the books do. Yeah. So that's neither here nor there. But he could be a Mance Raider agent south of the wall, creating chaos. Draw yeah. the army south. Although he doesn't really—he's minimal in that anyway. Yeah, he's very minimal. And then the third one, he might have been sent up there to kill Mance Raider. That's what I was thinking, but he didn't he succeed. Or maybe he killed someone else. Yeah, or someone big. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's something we'll never know. It's, it will never come up again. But it was—it's very interesting. It's just like left there. Yeah, it's like what would he do? And I also thought that the drinking game itself—it's a good way of doing character development. This is one. This is a really good scene because we see, we see Braun's past brought to like yeah, and then we also see how Shay, how she Shay reacts to people guessing her past. Yeah, like very defensive. Yeah, she's a very defensive person, and we also see Tyrion's intelligence rising. Yeah, but then they later screwed up in season eight. Why they play the game? Oh, they play the game. That's where that's where Tyrion outs Brienne as a virgin. Is if that's a bad thing in this time period? Oh, we'll get into it in season eight. <laughs> <laughs> I just remembered that. You're a virgin. As if it's a, yeah. ba- as yeah. if it's a bad thing in general. Isn't if you're a virgin, that's fine. Yeah. It's fine. You, it's it's prized in this, in this time period. I'll digress until season eight. God, the mess that is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I feel like every episode we talk about, <laughs> we poke another hole. I mean, it's just so easy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not hard to poke holes in season eight. Like, it just comes up. Whoops. Anyway, so then, this is the way that we get Taisha, the story of Taisha. And I'll just say right now, the story of Taisha and her character is one of the most important aspects of Tyrion's story in the books. Not the show, which could be problematic. Yeah, considering like, where his story ends. They cut out all of it after this. This is like this is it, and there's maybe like one more mention of it later. And that's it. Yeah. Taisha's impact on Tyrion is huge. And I won't talk about how like 
what happens later. Not yet. Anyway. But not yet. But it's his whole character. It's a big deal the story with Taisha. Like basically it changes how Tyrion is as a character. Yes. He is not the same as the show, especially in later seasons. Yes. But I also wanted to note how they kind of toned down the story of Taisha. Did they? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, they did. This is where the trigger warning comes in. So if you didn't listen if you kept listening up to this point, now I would advise skipping ahead a little bit. Yeah. So in the show they talk about her being gang raped. Yeah. But they didn't add the part where Tyrion was forced to join yeah. that gang rape. And that yeah. he gave her a gold coin because... A Lannister's worth more. Yeah. So, I don't want to mention any more about that, but... Yeah, that did happen. I did want to note this. Tywin there tells me, oh, I need to know. That is... I thought Rand Harley was bad. And yes, he. I still think Rand Harley is really bad. But this almost makes Tywin worse, in my opinion. They're equal in my head. Yeah, I said almost. Yeah, I, they're both. They both traumatized their. But sons. now I'm going to say this: Why is Tywin Lannister seen as this great general and man, and like this intelligent master of the Game of Thrones, when Daenerys is just branded as insane? To me, this is just as insane as insane as anything that people contrived Daenerys did before season eight. Yeah. And what and we've already discussed a lot of it. A lot of what we've already noted was not that insane from Daenerys. This is straight up psychopathy. Yeah. But Tywin is the praised general, like the praised great, yeah the great guy, and leader of House Lannister. Yeah. Machiavelli brought to life. Yeah. But Daenerys is not. And don't get me wrong, Tywin's a very fascinating character. He's fascinating, but he's horrible. But he's horrible. He's literally a psychopath. That's my point with the whole, like, I guess we're going to Daenerys now. But, like, but like the whole thing with Daenerys, like, people go, oh, she doesn't do this, she doesn't do that. This is a medieval world. Their standards of morality are different. It's not my fault the showrunners forgot that that was a thing in later seasons because they couldn't be creative enough. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very brutal. And it's also just getting rid of, um, back to the trigger warning. Um, the whole raising... Well, if you want to skip ahead at this point. Yeah. Um, the whole raising, erase, erasing of Tyrion raping Taisha uh, too. It does... It is another sign, early sign of the whitewashing of Tyrion. I think... No, no, I'm not going to say whitewashing. I'm going to say getting rid of more of the complexity. Well, I'm going to say the whole Taisha story, it makes Tyrion a much darker character. Like, very dark. And when we get to the later scenes, we will talk about what we believe was Tyrion's path in the, sh- in the books. But they got rid of that whole thing. This is another major sign, because Tyrion does a lot of messed up things. He really so does. this does remove that aspect of it. It makes him more of like a fun, cracking joke character that's very not fun to watch in later seasons. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know why they do that. I guess they, want, they always want you to root for someone, I guess. Yeah, which, fair enough. But yeah, it, it also um leads to... Shay and him becoming closer because like he opened up to her, which is another way of making Shay more of a character. It make like instead because in the books Tyrion tells Bronn the story alone before the um the tribe's gonna come and get them. Here they changed it to right to with Shay, and this is probably a way of her getting more mm-hmm. closer with him, yeah. like opening up, something very personal. Yeah, but then that gets interrupted by battle. <laughs> yes, the very next morning, which is a nice transition <laughs> to the next scene. Yes, you're welcome. And I just wanted to say one thing before I. A little bit, which is that I'm not a fan of the way they avoid the battle specifically. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't understand that there's budgetary reasons why they didn't do it, 
And I don't mind that we didn't see the battle. I'm just not a fan of how we missed the battle. Yeah. I would have preferred if we see them charging and then we skip to after the battle and we see the carnage and Tyrion was there yeah, for all. Yeah, I 100% Because I feel agree. knocking him out just feels a bit off. It felt a little mm, Also, like, womp weird. Womp. Yeah, just... It wasn't it for me. I mean, I understand why they did it. Like, obviously, they didn't have the budget for a whole battle. No, but I'm saying I yeah, wish they were. But I just... wish. Well, and the other thing is because the battle. This is the battle of the Green Fork. This battle for is like, especially in like book six, the the chapters that we do have the same chapters. This is the battle he remembers the most, more than the Blackwater. So it's another. This is another major shaping of Tyrion. This is his first battle, and they just cut it out. Yeah. Which is another thing is like changing Tyrion's character. Yeah, it's one thing to not show us battle. It's another thing to take that away from the character. Yeah, I agree. But and then I also wanted to talk a little bit about the yeah. battle itself because we don't we just all we know is that they won. Yeah, and that two thousand men were slaughtered apparently. Where we know in the book that it was not two thousand men; it was Roose Bolton's half of the army. Yeah. So I I don't want to go into too much detail, but I want to go on a brief overview. Yeah. Which is that the. Uh, hill tribes do not do what Tywin wants. They overperform. Yeah. So they do not end up collapsing, getting flanked, which, so basically, they end up driving off Roose Walton's forces. Yeah. And, but Tywin didn't get that ultimate victory. Yeah. And also Rob wasn't there anyway. Yeah. So I, that's, there's more to it if you want to read the books or just look it up online. Yeah. If you want to learn more about it, but that was just a brief overview so yeah. you know that what kind of happened and, and Roose Bolton is still at a large yes and Tyrion actually in the battle kills a few men and he takes a prisoner yes he kills a horse too with a spike of his helm yeah Tyrion actually proves to be pretty good with the battle axe this is where we first see that in the show yeah in I, the think, I think one guy like charges for winter when he goes die and he yeah puts the axe in his head yeah it's pretty brutal but it's which, a shame. again I wish that they kept Tyrion awake for the battle even if we didn't see it just so Tyrion has that character development yeah but instead it's just he's knocked out yeah Which, like i wish they did something a little different yeah and then um the last thing i have for this is that when tywin says like that rob wasn't here he doesn't seem that concerned that rob was with the other eighteen thousand men heading for his favorite son yeah. in, in the, the show in the book yeah when he learns of this he immediately orders the army to get marching right away and just his hell bent on getting there obviously he's too late but here he's very calm and like not really moving that much. He's like with his other men, and it's like like letting them all clean up and stuff. Like, to, that, yeah. yeah. To be fair, we don't see what happened in between those scenes. Yeah, but the way he said it didn't sound like he was too concerned with it. He was just duped by the boy he was making fun of. Like I'd be a little bit pissed off. Yeah, we know historically that when men get um, duped by people who they consider inferior, such as a fifteen a six fifteen year old boy like Rob. Or a woman like Margaret of Anjou. Yeah. They tend to get really mad. Yeah. And then they really want to punish them for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we that. see Tywin later does with the Red Wedding. And we know Edward IV does it by annihilating Margaret's army and closing her off from some route yeah. to get to a large yeah. force. Yeah. Him and Jamie were just humiliated. War of the Roses yeah. reference history. Yeah. Jamie and Tywin were just humiliated by this 15-year-old boy in the books. And in the show, a 17-year-old. So, yeah, they definitely would be a little bit like, like, I have to over, like, I have to really beat this guy now. I have to prove myself back yeah. to the world. They have to prove that they are "quote unquote" men. Yeah, as if that's something you can prove by beat whatever. What? Yeah, I one hundred percent agree. It's like it's a whole thing with toxic masculinity. Yeah, and like proving yourself to the world. Yeah, I just I feel because I keep talking about Margaret Bonjour and I don't give the background to it, but just to say that she duped him a few times in the end of the war. Edward the Fourth. Edward. The, oh, I didn't say that either. Yes. Edward the Fourth, and then he 
cuts her off from making it to a larger force. Yeah. Just so we just so we know the context. Yes. Now that we're done with Tyrion, let's move away from the south for the time being and go to the wall. I just want to say this might be the shortest amount of stuff I wrote. <laughs> Either John but, or Tyrion. No, it's not because that's because there's only three scenes and only one of them really has a big thing happen in them. Okay. So it's not like so much just lack of care of analysis, just lack of character time. Yeah, I have a little bit for the first scene. I do too, but the second scene I have barely anything. I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so there's really two scenes mainly. Yeah. So I'll open up with this. The story makes it clear John burned his hand. Tar- I will leave it there. Okay. Good. I just want to make it because we talked about it last time. I want to make it clear that like the show does. I thought the it. screaming as he put his hand in a lantern would have been enough for you. But the show's reminding you that it happened. All right. Yeah. yeah. Just, just leave it there. But they do cut out like John's um, knack for um, flexing his burned hand. Yeah. He does it a lot in the book. I don't yeah. think it's almost like. I mean, it's kind of actually a parallel to Catelyn. Because yeah. in the book, Catelyn gets her hand cut by the dagger of the cat's paw. Yeah. And it leaves it uh, forever maimed. And actually, she it doesn't work properly. And Jon Snow's hand is very similar after it gets burned. Yeah. Which I think it's kind of fun for Jon Snow to parallel these two characters that hate each other. I think he loves to do that. That was great. He loves, I never well, he thought also, of it like that. He loves to parallel Catelyn and Jamie too. Well, yeah, I could see because they're very... So, yeah, that's something he does do. Wow, I love that. Yeah, I never even thought of it like that. Yeah, good, good for you for finding... Sorry, that really that really got me. I never thought of it. But, um... God, I lost my whole train of thought because that's the <laughs> blew me away. I don't know why. That really blew me away. I feel, I've said it before. The hand thing? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. It's in my analysis on the books that I wrote to myself. Oh, because I, I, I wrote a lot of notes on the books, mm-hmm. like hundreds of pages each book. Okay. So, just for the viewer to know that I, I'm that nuts on oh, the books. We are crazy. But it was years ago. Yeah. I haven't updated it. Yeah. So then, as a reward for saving Lord Commander, he gets the Valyrian steel sword, long, long claw, claw, which he rightfully deserves. Because, but even though I do think Ghost deserves a treat. Ghost deserves, oh my god, Ghost deserves a treat for helping, but Jon Snow is the one that fought. Yeah, but Ghost, it, didn't really, Ghost just, is locked out of the room. But, in fairness to that, Jon wouldn't have been there if it weren't for Ghost. But that's what I'm saying, like, for that he should be given a reward, but Jon Snow is the one that was the one oh, to yeah, defeat the white. Which is, which is, like, one of the things, that's why I like, like, I like when characters earn what they get. Like, a lot, of people, a lot of people like to say, like, like going to Daenerys, like, Daenerys didn't earn the dragons. Which I don't agree with because, as we'll talk about in this episode, she does lose a lot. <laughs> I will say, I will say an argument that losing isn't uh, isn't earning. Well, I'll say this: and there, I'll say, oh, the dragon eggs were handed her, but she got the knowledge to crack them. She did get I the knowledge. She did them. earn the knowledge. I, that is true. And she and I think losing people, I think the problem is enough. I think yeah. the I think the losing of them gave her the knowledge. But yeah. I will say that the problem with that though is that. The books leave it a mystery on where that knowledge came, like where, yeah. how she acquired that knowledge. So it's easy to miss that she did get that knowledge on her own. So people might just be like, "Well, just I think they think that the hatching of the dragon eggs was just an accident." Where if you watch, if you read the book and you really look at it between the lines, it yeah. was not an accident. I think Daenerys expected something like that to happen, prepared for it even. Yeah, I agree. So that's where I think that problem comes in. But yeah, you're right, and. Then, 
Um, Jor also mentions that like the sword was returned by Jor, I mean, Jorah, his son. Why didn't it go to Lady Mage Mormont, who's now head of House Mormont? Like I know she's, I know it's because like a woman, like but like she is a warrior, and all of her daughters are warriors too. I would assume that sex is a matter goes to the male line. Only uh, I would assume something like that. Then when Jor dies, I mean, if you didn't give it to John, when Jor dies, where is that gonna go? It probably would go to one of her children. Male yeah. line. That actually leads me to another interesting point. When John meets Leon in season um season six, he doesn't mention that this was the sword of your family. Oh, he should have returned that. Yeah. Oh my god. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's that's a little like keep that in her mind. It would have been fun to have him be like, This sword belongs to you, I return this sword, and she goes, I have no business with that sword. He tried to get back to Dora. I, that but that's I different. forgot about that. That's more cringe than anything, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> We'll talk about but that. But in season so. six, it would have made more sense if he tried to give it back to Liana and she just refused to take it because what business does she have with that sword when she's a child who can't probably even wield it? Yeah. It would have, he actually should have done that. I don't know why he didn't do that. I guess the showrunners didn't think that through. I mean, to be fair, I didn't think of it until right now. Yeah, but we don't live in that time <laughs> period. I feel like that's something that would have been common knowledge to do. Well, yeah, but like D&D, like, I'm talking with them. Like, they probably didn't think of it because we didn't think of it. Yeah, but we're also we're also showrunners who have, who have to who are paid to think like that. Fair point. <laughs> um, he also mentions that like John's like, okay, I'll apologize to Alice there and I'll be the adult. And your moment's like, well, he is gone down to King's Landing to show the hand. We'll talk about this later, but the uh, show does not. Go I will direction. give a little spoiler, a little bit of more white, the more whitewashing of Tyrion. Yeah, but it's also like just they seem to have just forgot. While we kind of forgot. That Alistair Thorne went to King's Landing. We will talk more about that in season two. Yes, we will. Well, and that's all I have for that opening, that scene. Then he like, well, I do have one thing, which is that Jorah G- G- tells him this is a man's sword, not a boy's. Yeah. But then John immediately hands it over to a bunch of boys who goggle over for ten minutes, running around with it. <laughs> yeah. Did you not listen to what he was saying? John? They're, like, they're like sword, 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 like a bunch of. Then they're running <laughs> around like someone could literally lose their eyes. It's a Valyrian sword. That thing is sharp. Pip decides to like to whack. Grand Grand kind of falls off. I said, I said, oh. if he decided, not that he did. I said, yeah, that's he up. goes, ha ha. Oh my god! Now your head, now your head's about to be on a spike too. Yeah, it's pretty for murder, pretty dangerous. But John is kind of not prepared to have that but sword. Yeah, I guess it's like in this moment, it's like it's John's in a good place again, kind of. It's almost like the the whole Ned's arrest thing is like not remo- gone, but like it's not the prime thought. And then Sam reminds. Actually, on his walk back, I noted that I don't think that's the case. Really? Oh, because yeah. I said that that it seems in public he wants to keep up the happy face. Yeah. Like, oh, I deserve this. But when he's alone, you see his face shift. Yeah. And you can kind of tell that he's not thinking about the sword. Like, he does not care that he just got a sword. Yeah. And I think that's shown by his eagerness to just hand it off. Like, the, it's more exciting for the his friends that John got a sword than for John himself. Yeah. Because at this point, yeah, I got a sword that's cool, but my father's in a literal dungeon who might be executed. Executed. I don't think that he's really caring that he got Longclaw. Yeah. And of course, Sam in the corner who looks upset draws John over because John seems to also be in that type of mood. He's not hanging out with his friends who are looking at the sword. He's yeah. sitting with Sam. Yeah. And that's when John's put to the test. And which leads me to the go- the really good scene with yeah, Mr. Eamon. This is a very good scene in this episode. I think it's my favorite this scene, one of my favorite scenes in the season. This is, I don't know if you agree with this, this is the scene where Eamon kind of puts John in his place. Yeah, well, 
Yeah. Like, he, John's going through a rough time. He has a difficult choice. But he's, like, he's acting like he's, like, the, like you know, like, I'm the only one going through stuff right now. And it's, like, I get that, because obviously, it's, very, you know, but Mr. Eamon's there, and it's like, um... I literally know firsthand. Yeah, I know. Everything. I'm a witness to that this has happened. Yeah, this has happened before. But before we get into that, I wanted to know how Eamon asks John yeah. whether Ned would, what would he would do if it was between his honor yeah. and his family. And John says he would do whatever is right. And then Eamon says, then he is one in like 10,000. Of course, we later see that Ned is not one in 10,000. We know what he does. He chooses family. And actually, he does what actually is the better thing to do, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, like, once again, Ned does the right thing, but Joffrey's obviously Well, we can't talk about that, but we can talk about that. But I think in for Ned's story, he does make the right decision. Yeah. And chooses to save the lives of everyone. He chooses love over duty, and that actually turns out to be for the better. Well, of course, we know it doesn't go in that direction, but yeah. it wasn't intended to go in the right direction. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. We'll talk about this more in oh, the end. Yeah. The last scene. Yeah. And uh, I have something else I want to say before we, a little bit. Oh, I'll say something real quick. But, like, did, you, did you hear Eamon mention, like, a brother's smile? Like, yes, like, like, that felt personal. Like, John was like, oh, it's about Rob. And, like, part of it was, but even was actually very close with his brother, Aegon V. Yeah. As we will see in season five when he's dying. They were very close. Like, he gave the throne up for to keep his brother safe. Like, he gave up. Yeah. Like, you know, he went to the wall for that. Yeah. So I it mean, was a little personal for himself. And also a woman's, what was it, a woman's kiss? A woman's embrace or something? Like, yeah. He also was in love at one point, I think. That's more of the show than the book. But still. No, but I think in the books he was too. Oh, I think, you I think there was right. someone he was in love with. Which I do love how he reflects on that. Yeah. But I also want to know how the show does something that annoys me. Mm. It cuts out a generation. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about this for a little bit. So I'm not sure why they did this, but in the book, Aemon's father was Makar the first Targaryen, who was, uh, well, it doesn't matter who where he came from, but he was Makar the first Targaryen, and his brother, a and Aemon's brother is Aegon the fifth. That is both correct in book book and show. Both book and show have Makar be the father, Aegon the fifth the brother. But then they change who Aemon's nephew is. Yeah. In the book, Aemon's nephew is Jaehaerys II, who is Aegon's son. And Jaehaerys' son is Aerys the Mad King. And through that, Rhaegar Targaryen is his son, and then we have Daenerys yeah. in there too. But so, but in the show, they cut out Jaehaerys. So Aegon the Fifth's son is Aerys. And I don't know why they did that. Yeah, I don't really get it. Like to make it, there was no real reason. Like, it doesn't make it less confusing. It doesn't like because no one knows. Like he could, he said his grandson. Mm-hmm. Like, uh. so, so I just should note that in this, in the show, in the book version, Rhaegar is Aemon's great great nephew. Yeah, and it, and then Daenerys is also. Yeah, not his great nephew. Yeah, and his like, great niece. I guess it's not that important. I guess in the context of the show itself, but. HBO is currently trying to make like a Westerosi cinematic universe, right? So, so there is events that happen during Jaehaerys' reign that could, like, that could be part of like a, um, like a prequel show eventually. Not now, but very down the line. So they might retcon the show to make that work. Not that I just they, not that I think that they will do that very specific time period, but like there are events that I won't talk about now, but like that they could want to show in that. Yeah, and then. The final thing that I noted, I don't know if you have any more to say about the scene. Uh, you can say it, because I, I probably have the same point. So I said that in the books, Eamon was tested three times on his vows. Yeah. 
he says once when he was a boy, another when he was a man, and last when he was old. Yeah. So we don't know when he when the first one was. It might have been with the love thing. Yeah. We just don't know. Yeah. But we do know the second one, which was the Great Council of 233, where all the lords met to decide on who the next king was. Yeah. And they offered the throne to Aemon. But Aemon was already a maester, and he refused the throne on that account. And also to keep his brother safe. He didn't want to, he didn't want to ever be no, no. used. He went to the wall because yeah. he didn't want Aegon V's claim to be threatened by his own. Yeah. So now he, has, now he has double vows. Yeah. And then the last one was Robert's Rebellion, which he talks about. Which we should also note that Aemon was really close with the Targaryens. Yeah. Like, he was very close to Aegon, we already talked about. But he was really close to Rhaegar. Yeah. He was writing to Rhaegar about prophecies that Rhaegar was obsessed with. Yeah. So it was re- it would have been really devastating to hear that Rhaegar was killed by a Robert Baratheon and that his children were butchered by Tywin Lannister. Yeah. It's a wonder that he actually can tolerate Jon Snow's presence here, to be honest. Yeah, he's a good Because if he's anything like a Targaryen that we come to know in the show, like Daenerys or Viserys, wouldn't they? Wouldn't he see Ned as much to blame? I guess. But then again, Ned probably visits the Wall a few times. That's true. And he knows Benjen, so it's probably easier for him to accept the Stark side of the story. Yeah, that's true because Viserys was raised being told bad, 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 and Viserys. I mean, Viserys raised Daenerys to think the same way. Where yeah. Aemon didn't have that. He had. He would have been more. He would have been closer with the Stark. Yeah. He probably didn't like what happened to his family, but he probably recognized that Ned actually yeah. didn't like it either. And. Of course, you should also note that Daenerys is willing to to hear why the Starks betrayed, why yeah. not betrayed, why the Starks went against Targaryens. She's just not ready to hear that why Aerys is mad. She's not ready to hear that, but she's willing to understand that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting part because like John's like like you don't know, and Aemon's like I do know. My whole family is gone, and not just all was on the wall. No, people that he knew. Yeah, like I, I, I'm he was the close last. With like, like I'm the end. Like you know. It's, it's, yeah, so it's like you have to choose between love and duty. Yeah, this is the As theme I have. of this. Yeah, and you have to live with it forever. Yeah. So speaking of Aemon Targaryen, let's move on to the next Targaryen <laughs> across the narrow sea. Drogo is dying. Yes, that's what that's so how it's not sugarcoated in any way. He is dying. Yes, and with that, Daenerys's power is slipping away. Yeah, but to be fair to Miramas Dirk here, who gets a lot of blame. Oh. I have, I'll talk about that in a little bit. If we okay. can just hold off a little bit. I'll hold off in that case. Then, okay, then my first point's gone. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But I also noted how here we see the limits of her power at the most extreme level. Yeah. So, with Drogo fallen, literally and figuratively, yeah. Daenerys does not have her access to power, and the Dothraki don't even really listen to her. And commands. also, a cow can't ride is no cow. Yeah, so he's not even cow anymore. And we see how, like, she's trying to command Kotho. Uh, Kotho. And he's just dismissive of her. Eventually, he's forced to listen. But... I mean, I'll say this too about Kotho. And I'll say this many times. He's actually, he himself would probably be nervous right now because he is a blood rider. And what happens if you're a blood rider to a cow is that when your cow is dead, you live long enough to avenge them and get their Khaleesi to Viathrax. And then you join your, your cow. Basically, Basically, you kill yourself. You kill yourself. But, so he sees the end of his life coming, too. Yeah, but basically, I was thinking, without a husband, a brother, or a father, she is nothing in this world. Yeah. And that's that's a fact that she's starting to, that she's going to have to start realizing very quickly. Yeah, which is something she's, like, as, and to transition to the next scene with them, Yeah. with her in the tent. Well, before you do, I just, sorry. Oh, I'll say it real quick, though. Yeah, yeah. She's still, she's a little delusional about that. Yeah, 
Yeah, she is. And I know that she's desperately trying to cling on to power. Literally yeah. cling on to Drogo in that yeah, scene. Literally. And, like, her commands only work when she invokes Cal Drogo's name. But that's something that she barely can do. Yeah. Or Drogo will hear about it. But Drogo clearly is not going to hear about it anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. And eventually, later in the next scene, as we're going to talk about in a second, they don't even listen to her anymore. Like, at all. Yeah. Because it's clear he's going to die. <laughs> yeah. So, now let's transition. Okay. So, like, she, like, she's literally not, she's delusional about her own powers. Like, she's, like, when Drogo Dro enters, she's basically, like, he's strong, he's always been strong. Like, she's refusing to believe that her, that he's dying, and that her power is leaving her. Because she's never, she's never had this much power. And now it's, like, the, the she has a taste of it for a few episodes, and now it's, it's gonna be gone. She's gonna be, once again, an exiled princess with no rights, no nothing. Yeah, even less so, because now, well, technically more so, because she's actually now the direct heir to the throne. But also less so because now she doesn't have a man to to do anything. Yeah, for her. which makes basically in, if, all she if, literally has is Jorah. Also, if she didn't have the dragon, she'd have nothing. Yeah, which will come the next episode. Yeah, and Jorah when he comes, he's very quick to be like, "We have to move right now." Yeah, like we have to go. We have to get out of here. Daenerys being delusional, like, like even if he is dying, like I'm still Khaleesi. I oh, have like I, I can, my son will come after me. I, and I said that was the a fatal mistake on Daenerys's part. That is. On par with any mistake that Sarah made in the, with the Dothraki, not leaving, no, not understanding. Yeah, she just assumes that her son Rhaegar will be heir, but she's looking at it from the perspective of a Westerosi, yeah, and not from Dothraki. The Dothraki follows strength and only strength. Yeah, so Rhaegar has no influence anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Daenerys did not understand, that, and that's why she didn't leave immediately. Yeah, it could. I mean, why didn't they kill her? We'll talk about that more in the next episode. Okay. But that could have been very fatal. And also, Jorah suggests, like, going to a shy. Why a shy? That is, like... Like, if you look at a map of Westeros, look, go to, like, where Marine is. It's right around there. They're right around the Red Waste. Yeah. And then look to where a shy is. They literally will have to cross the Bone Mountains. Yes, they're called the Bone Mountains. Go across a whole half of the continent, including possibly through lands called where the Jogos Nye, who are basically riding zebras, yeah, they're like Dothraki. They're like there. Dothraki with zebras. Cross that, possibly E.T., across lands that are really dangerous and full of myth and mystery that is very sketchy places to go, and then head south down a curve, and then there's a shot. Yeah, very, very... It's a very long walk. I don't know why Jorah would recommend that over Marine. I, I mean, Pentos is closer. Just walk I there. Mean, I'll assume this. Maybe Jorah was literally thinking there's nowhere else safe in the whole world. Yeah. Because with, without Caldrogo, she's more vulnerable than ever. Yeah. She so, has no brother. And, she has And no... Robert, and as far as they're aware, Robert will aim for her now specifically because now Viserys isn't even there. Yeah. So I guess in his mind, Ashai is literally the only place that he can't make it to. But I, didn't you already say that he would get there? I think so. All right, well, whatever. And then you wanted to talk about Miriam as door because I, I have a long thing to say about that. Oh, I was gonna... I mean, I'll say what I was gonna say. Drogo... Did this to himself. Yes, I said that in the in the um show that in the show they take up the po the poultice and it looks infected and everyone and it's supposed to make it look very clear, but in the books it's more ambiguous. And I'm sure you want to say why. Oh no, you can say it. Are you sure? Oh, what like what he did? Yeah. Oh yeah, he didn't <laughs> listen to any of the advice Mary Master so gave. She him. basically gave him a poultice and said, "No drinking." Yeah. So what did he do? He took the poultice off. Well, it was itching, which yeah. meant it was probably working. Yeah, he takes it off and he shoves mud 
Yes. Mud. I've never heard of mud doing anything like that. And then every night, he's out drinking. Yeah. And yet it's Miriam's door's fault. Yeah. It's like, it's, okay. like, it's like when doctors tell patients to do something, they ignore all the advice, and they get sick, and everyone like, blames the doctor. Like, how could you... It's like, I gave my advice, I told them to do what they did, they didn't listen. In the show, they get rid of the ambiguity, it looks directly like, it was her work. Yeah. So, which is fine, like, that's the choice they made. But... But she's actually whatever. innocent of that. Yeah. And then, I, kn- um, I noted how... Again, her power hangs by a literal thread. Yeah, at this Kodo, point, it's even less. And Kodo makes that clear because he basically says, "Like when she's when she's like when Cal, the cow cow is dead, we'll get her too." And she's and then he says, "You're nothing." And she says, "I'm blood of the dragon." And then he says, "The dragons are all dead." And guess what? You really can't argue with that logic. Yeah. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. And not even just the dragons are all dead, as in literal dragons, but her family is all dead. It's just all Mace she Raymond. had. Well, Mace Raymond, and he's on the wall, so he's not doing anything at the end of his life. Yeah. So Daenerys literally is all alone. Yeah. So she really is nothing without Caldrogo. Without a man in her life, she is nothing. Which, of course, we later see how she moves past that. But as of right now, this is the lowest she's been since they she arrived in Pentos with, with Viserys to Illyria. Yeah. And I think it's when he says, like, the dragons are all dead. That's when Daenerys kind of wakes up a little bit to how much danger she really is in. Because when she tells Dora, like, you better wear your armor tonight. Well, the thing, though, is that she really shouldn't be in any danger. Because she does have a place in the world, still. In the Dosh Kaleen. That, that's true, but also true that her life is in danger. Because, I, will get, I was getting into this later, but... Blood Riders supposed to avenge their cow. And right now, Kodo's making it very clear that he blames Daenerys for Drogo's death. Yeah. So, and as we see later on... They're gonna avenge Cal Drogo by killing the woman they think is responsible. Daenerys and Miriam Esther. So, her she I think she recognizes they might come after me. Yeah, but but on the Dosh Clean, because I just want to explain what that is. Yeah, they are. I don't know if they're like the government, but they are. A they're priesthood. like they're like the religious like order that kind of like all the Dothraki listen to apparently. Yeah. So she does have a place there with it's all the Khaleesi's who've been widowed. Yeah. So she does have a place there, but does Daenerys, But it really is a place where she'll be isolated forever. She's not allowed to leave. Yeah. And her power is gone. Yeah. Like, they can listen to her, but they're not going to, like, do what she says. Like, she doesn't have... I just thought that either way, she's either going to die tonight, or she's going to be sent into permanent isolation. Yeah. As, like, basically a nun. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Neither one is appealing. And neither one is really with power. Yeah, either Josh Clean or death. Yeah. She chooses the third option. (laughs) Which is... Ignore it. Which is, make sure Cal Drogo lives as much as possible. (laughs) Oh, they have. Yeah, her death... Like, she turns to witchcraft. And now this is where my question is. Is her desperation because she loves Drogo or because she doesn't want to lose her power? I want to say it's because she doesn't want to lose her power because of all, like, the... Reasons we gave. Reasons, like, we talked about earlier why Drogo and Daenerys' relationship is a little bit of a problem and problematic. But it could be a little bit of both. I mean, I think I can see Daenerys having Stockholm Syndrome. I do. I mean, Daenerys definitely does love Khal Drogo in a, in a way. Yeah. But I do think that it is, as you said, a mix of both. I mean, and in the show, though, like, like, it's a little bit different in the books, like, how Drogo treated Daenerys. Yeah. You know, so it's, like, maybe it's more of, like, she found love where she didn't expect it, but still, she's a 14-year-old girl, and he's, like, 30, so it's a little bit, like, uh. I guess, but you really do think about, like, her desperation really does invoke the idea that, that someone she loves is dying, but also that all influence she has in the world is about to pass. Yeah. It's, and it's, she it's, really doesn't want that to At happen. the very least, it's a mix of both. Yeah. 
Jesus, it's, it's going quickly too. Like he won't last the night. And then like so, like she turns her like Miriam Esther says like I can do something, but a life for a life. And, and Daenerys like is like, like like is told like it won't be her life. And deep down though, in the book was revealed that she knows that it means her son. Yeah. Deep down, she kind of knew what she was. But she convinced convinced herself it wasn't. Yeah, she convinced herself it was the horse. Yeah. I also want to know that Miriam Esther here does admit that she is a magi. Yeah, but she in says, the book. Yeah, she in the show she doesn't, but in the book she says that means wise, not witch. I feel like we already talked about that a little bit. Yeah, but they, yeah, they practice witchcraft. We don't know what they do. All we know is that the Dothraki consider it witchcraft. I mean, we can kind of we can assume, but actually, I'm actually going to talk a little bit about that. In, oh, in this scene, you have something. Okay, so my first question is, what did she do in the tent? That's we hear very demonic sounds coming out of yeah, there. Demonic shrieking and, comes and out. And in the books, when we look, it's kind of like, I guess there's light in the tent. So you can kind of see shadows like in there. Witchcraft. There's some there's demon, she, demonic she's dancing with demons in there. And although I did, I I think this is based on the graphic novel of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. But we do see the images, and they do kind of look like one looks like a wolf, I think. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the books make no mention of what the shadows look like. Yeah. So I did wonder if these were like, if it was like spirits of the dead or like just like actual like demons coming mm-hmm. in but it's also interesting because like no not even that though but like invoking some of the future things like how stark yeah and also as nazans are talking about what's inside this tent jorah knows because he daenerys daenerys doesn't remember because she's like out of it but jorah takes her in the tent mm-hmm. and I, i'm pretty sure her handmaidens going there with them eventually because they have to help yeah so what what did he see? Because he had to see what those shadows were, if anything. So, I'm going to get into it. Okay. Because I said that this is all from the shadows that we that Daenerys sees on the, in the tent. That is Daenerys' perspective. Yeah. So, in the show, they get rid of that ambiguity and, uh, oh, oh, my God, perspective, POV yeah. narrative. What is it called? Like, perspective? Yeah, but it's, like, biased. I forget what it's called. This is Unreliable like, narrative. Uh, yeah, they get rid of that. Where everyone kind of notes that there's shrieking in the tent. Yeah. But in the books, when Daenerys is in labor, Jorah is saying, I have to go in the tent. And yeah. she keeps thinking, no, you can't go in there. Do you not see what is in there? But she can't say because she, she's in too much pain. But that does make me wonder, does he see what she sees? What, do you, what, what, what? Like, was there nothing there? I mean, when he walks in the tent, all he says is that, I saw you dancing with shadows, but what what does he mean by that? He says you were alone, so she wasn't. So whatever was in that tent was just like an illusion. Was it? An, what was it? Wasn't it just an illusion? Was it just Daenerys's perspective? Just well, you Jor- said Jorah said I saw you dancing with shadows, right? Yeah, but on the like there was nothing in there. It was but on the from the outside, it looked like yeah. But then again, that, shadows are shadows. Like, I mean, is she doing what Melisandre did? Is she yeah? Is she doing what Melisandre did? Is she doing something that we don't even know? Is she conducting a spell that actually is the reason why Ned Stark died? Like, life for life. Like, I, I, there was somewhere that I read that it was like three people, three people died and then the dragons hatched. Drogo. Ned. Robert? I forget what it was, but it was like, I might have been just the guys who fought outside the tent, to be honest. But oh. I feel like I, I read somewhere that Ned's death Drogo's death and someone else, and Miriam Azdor's death was what hatched the dragon egg. I read that somewhere, but I can never find that, it. That's probably deep in the internet somewhere. And I'm not saying it doesn't make sense or not, but it is an interesting thing to think about. Although, 
Ned is very far away from the scene. But yeah. it would be interesting to see if his death is what brought about this change. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> that is actually I, very fascinating, though, because, like, I haven't... That's so, like, mm-hmm. what could have possibly... Do you think one of the reasons that Drogo turns out catatonic, though, is... I mean, I know Miriam has Durham. We'll talk about this next time. That, um... She she's is. very quick to be like, I guess. But do you think it's possible that, like... Like... Drogo was catch hung because Miriam Mazder only got a little bit done with the spell and then she had to stop it because she had to help Daenerys give birth. Yeah, and then and that's why the baby comes out like mal it, like like deformed because like it was like half the spell done. Mm. I don't know. That was just something I thought of. And yeah, and then I also want to talk about a little bit about the fight, which is that it's much more intense in the books. Yeah, one hundred Daenerys' yeah. entire co or her bodyguards yeah. fight didn't fight Drogo's uh, blood yeah, and they all win. No one, one. No one of them. Quarrel gets. Dies. Yeah, one of them dies. And then Jorah in the fight loses half an ear. Yeah, I it's, don't know how you lose half. An they ear, do but... that a lot, where they where they take the disfigurement of a character and they kind of make it less than it is. Yeah, but I did like how um they brought back the idea of armor versus no armor because in episode three, yeah, Jorah talks about armor and how if you come at him with a sword, you'll easily just lose because he has armor and you don't. And we see how that comes to life because of the Dothraki and Jorah fight. Yeah. Quotha, his name is, I think, and he dies because he doesn't have armor. Yeah. It makes you wonder when the Dothraki finally do come to Westeros, like, how they beat, like, the knights and stuff. But, I mean, obviously they do a fine job of that. Well, the thing I think is different is that horseback versus not horseback. Yeah, and also because um, not everyone wears armor And I will, And I will forever stand on the fact that Khal Drogo would beat the mountain no matter what armor he was wearing. Yeah, I can see that. But, um... Yeah, this scene's actually very, like, all of episode 9 is, like, this very creepy scene. Like, Miriam Master singing is creepy to me. Ululating, singing, Yeah, like, and then you hear, like, the, de- de- oh. And then the Dothraki backing from, like, Daenerys is now forsaken by the, those Dothraki. Yeah, and the more intense that I forgot this part is that one of the, one of um Drogo's uh, blood riders, I think his name is Koholo or something, mm-hmm. he ends up grabbing Daenerys and almost cuts her throat. Yeah. And, and he dies before he does, yeah. but... And then the Dothraki start throwing hurling stones at Daenerys. One, I think, hits her in the stomach. Yeah. And, she, and we're shocked she, the child is still born. Here she falls, the baby, like, well, that she falls in her to, stomach. That yeah. happened, too, in the book. Yeah, so, like, that baby has been, like... Dead. It's dead. dead. It's dead. But then again, they like, there's a lot with the babies. We'll talk about it next time. But, like, there, there's a lot with it. Like, what the hell happened to that baby? But it's a very good scene for, like, the penultimate episode for, like, you know, it's very, like, very climatic. And just, like, everything just falls apart so quickly for Daenerys. Like, in the last episode, she was so powerful. She was doing all this. And now she's, like, trying so hard to keep it up. And it's, like, failing spectacularly. Mm-hmm. And it's very devastating to watch, but yeah. very, like, creepy at the same time. It's so cool. It's a very good scene. It's a very good sequence of scenes. <laughs> yeah. Now we leave Daenerys. And we go to the ending, which is the biggest scene in the whole, the whole show, I would even say. Before we get into it, I just want to say one thing. The bells are ringing, and I am triggered. No. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> uh, it's Well, you hate it later. It's fine now. I get... This is the thing. Is that I'll talk more about this, more about this in Season 8, but there is definitely a thematic thing with bells ringing and bad things happening. That is a theme. Yeah. It's just that you can't change how things work for a theme. Like... That's the one theme you wanted to keep in. Yeah. Anyway, but I'll talk more about that in season eight because it <laughs> does make sense for bad sense for bells to ring. But yeah. Anyway, 
That's so, what I really had to say about the scene where Arya's just yeah, Arya's living the slum life and just killing pigeons, like whatever. And, I don't like animal cruelty, but I get it. Yeah, trying to survive. So then Ned is taken to the steps of Baylor, and it's kind of a big deal he's be taken there because like that's a religious place. Mm-hmm. It's the idea of like he's gonna be forgiven there. Yeah, that's the idea. But then Joffrey obviously commits sacrilege in a few minutes. Yeah, I yeah, I just want to say one thing. Yeah, this is one of those scenes where I think the show did a better job than the book. Yeah, I think this scene is so much better than how the books they did. So I have to give it to D and D with the scene. So much better than what George did. Because in the books, it's from Arya's perspective alone. Yeah. So we only see events from Arya's perspective, and she doesn't see anything. So it's kind of like, for me at least, I almost missed the fact that you Ned missed died. Ned. You don't even. I'm trying. I I found it now, but like you, you would it would go over your head that Ned, I mean, you would get that Ned is dead, but you don't get like the impact yeah, of it. Your, yeah, the impact of it is missed. Yorn, all he says is it's done. Well, you hear. I think there's something where there's like a, a moment there's where, a sighing sound in the air, but we don't know what that is. Well. It's, Part of the blade went through. Well, he speaks a little bit. Whatever. Yeah, maybe. Like you, you can, re- but like, you don't see it happen. You don't get like what Ned's thinking or like what Sansa's doing. It's very Arya focused. So I want. I think the show did a much better job of giving. Yeah. And of course, happening. let's not forget that in the books, she does recognize how Sansa is freaking out. Yeah. So for Arya to later accuse Sansa of not is ludicrous. We know that she did notice. Yeah. Very problematic from the show. But I also love how in this version Ned has to tell Yorin that Arya is there. With the I Baylor. love that because like he he's trying to save Sansa in the scene. That's the idea. He's trying to save his daughter's life, and obviously it doesn't work the way he did. So at least he gets to save one of his daughters here by getting her out of there. Mm-hmm. Like he gets to do at least get that he can save Sansa, but he can save Arya, and he does. Yeah. And we'll talk about that with the very ending. Yeah, and. In the books, of course, Yorin just notices Arya's there. Yeah, I don't know. Kind how, of, kind of weirdly. Yeah, it's kind of just it just so happens that he just noticed that Arya was there. Where yeah. I like how in the show they have Ned specifically point her out. Yeah, and then whatever I like that better. Yeah, and he's dragged to the crowd, which I think is very like because like, you don't see it in the books either. I love when he's like being dragged because you know Ned's the great guy. He's in, like you know he did like I mean he did nothing wrong. You Quote know, unquote. We know the last of the bad guys. But here he is being dragged to the crowd, and they're all screaming and jeering at him. You know, it's very like very. It makes you. It doesn't make you think he's going for forgiveness. He's going. It's it, very doom feeling. And then he stands like smiling and stuff like that because she thinks her father's getting off. Like, yeah. it's just, everything about the scene is so well done. It's very like. I I don't know. I just like I love the way they built up to that moment. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at my notes. I just want to make sure I have everything. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about Ned's speech itself? Uh, all I really said about that was that Ned chose his daughter Sansa yeah. over his honor. He chose family and love over duty. Yeah. So, and then he's basically he's learned that that's more important than putting the right player on the throne. Yeah. He learned, and now he can die. That's what I'm. That's how he gra- like in like like he like managed to pass the test, and now like much like in the this from Preston Jays, much like in the books, Catelyn passes her test in the end. So now it's time for her to die. Like you can go, you can move on now. Yeah. Like you you did you accomplished what the point of the story is. Like Ned chose to do the right thing. He chose to save family. He chose to try to save thousands of lives that he put at risk through his coup. And now he can die. Yeah. Which is like which is brutal and like but in a way it's kind of like it is a closing for his story. Which 
yeah, I, like... Yeah, no, you're right. I also um wrote that I have my only problem with this scene is one small thing that really isn't that big of a deal. What? It's that the grandmaster probably sells the one addressing the crowd. Yeah, the, should, high the high septum's one does because he's the one that takes the gods. Yeah, so what... You know, I guess it's because we know Maester Bicel. Yeah. But I prefer the High Septon being the one to speak because it is his domain. Yeah. And uh, we should also note that this whole thing was supposed to be staged. Yeah. I'm sure Ned was given his lines. The High Septon was given his lines. And Joffrey was given his lines, which he chose to ignore. Yeah. Cersei thinking she's the one in power. Yeah. I was like, this is what you do, Joffrey. You have to do this. And then Joffrey being a little like... And now, this seems to be Joffrey's coup of power. Yeah. This seems to be a coup. Yeah. Because did you notice, I noticed something that I don't know if you did. What? Did you notice the King's Guard were surrounding the whole stage? Yes, they use a stage map as the whole term. I, I mean, I from, noticed them in certain spots, but like from Sansa, in between Joffrey and Cersei, behind Ned, behind the High Septon, King's Guard. Wow. Because I'm sure Joffrey was aware that there would be some dissent, and he was making sure that they couldn't do anything. Because if the High Septon tried to intervene, the King's Guard would probably just grab him back. Yeah. The only person they actually held back was Sansa because, well, she was really moving. Yeah. I was actually going to say, I, it is Joffrey's coup in a way, but it's also Littlefinger's. I was actually going to ask you, did you think, do you think Littlefinger was involved? I want, I think it, the whole thing's his idea. And I'll tell that right now. So, when Net, when Joffrey says, Sir Illyn, bring me his head. In that moment, all the characters kind of reveal who was involved and who was not, and where their intentions were and what they wanted to happen. You see Pycelle look like, whoa, what? He's shocked. He's shocked. The Ned, High Septon is... The, what? the High Septon's like, what? Varys runs over to try and talk Joffrey out of it. Cersei... Like, yeah. he, like sorry, that's the most important one. Varys, the, the master of whispers, the man who knows every secret, ran over, revealed himself to have known nothing about it, and tried to counsel Joffrey not to do it. Thursday, you can say that part. Thursday, she tries to stop it, but then she immediately realizes that there's nothing she can do. Joffrey, too. I know. Varys, too. You literally see Thursday, like, she says, my son, this is madness. And you see her, like, trying to grab him and stuff. And, he and you see, him. like, shaking, shaking her off with this little stupid smirk on his face. So, yeah. Thursday here, this thing, I don't think that, I think that, so, it was a question of whether who had the power, actually. Yeah. Up to this point, it was Thursday. Yeah. They, everyone was right when they were saying Thursday's holding Ned. But then, this was Joffrey's coup. He just took power from Cersei. Yeah. How is that allowed? Yeah. Is my question. Oh, yeah. But oh. back to what I... Because like, oh. that's a good question I want to turn back to, but I okay, want to finish yeah, yeah. my statement. So, like, you see all those people, like, you know, me, be, like, confused. Oh, well, I, I thought you were saying... The King's Guard, who are loyal to Joffrey, Sir Ilan Payne, and Janos Slint, who is under the pay of Littlefinger, move into action, they do what they're told immediately. You hear Jonathan say, put him down. Yeah. Littlefinger just stands there and smirks. He smirks, you see it? I see him smirking while that happens. And you even see Varys kind of stare at Littlefinger like, this is you. Like, Varys sees exactly what that was. I'm not Littlefinger gonna... is the only person in the small council who does not react at all. I'm gonna... She knew it was coming. I'm going to say this. I don't like how Littlefinger dies, but at the same time, I love it's, how he dies. I love that. I love that with Sansa. I think it has to be Sansa to get rid of him. But he definitely want. He definitely was the one who convinced Joffrey. Hey, you want more power? You should. You have the great wake from your mother. Because don't forget, 
Varus wants to keep peace. He wants the Targaryen. He wants. He needs to wait for the Targaryen invasion. He's not ready. Littlefinger wants chaos. And after Ned refused to do what Littlefinger wanted, he's got to go. This is the best way to bring. Like, if Ned gets forgiven, that'll be peace. They'll be able to deal with Renly, and I get nothing. Now, he's in good, Joffrey's good graces. He's going to convince him how to take power back. Ned's gone, and chaos can reign. Because don't forget, Littlefinger knows it'd be stupid. It's stupid of Joffrey to do that, but he doesn't care. He wants to rise up. So, I 100% think this is all Littlefinger's doing. I don't think Joffrey just had like a, I'm going to do this. I Because th- I think, though, I mean, later on, he like in the next episode, he just say, Mother says I have to still marry you, Sansa. So it means he still, like, Cersei still has a little bit of, like, in, like you know, tells him to do and he listens sometimes. So something like, Or maybe Littlefinger as, told him to listen to the, him, her on Yeah, that. exactly. So, like, it seems like Littlefinger, it seems like he still, he doesn't have a mind of his own. It still seems like he gets influenced by what others want. And I 100% believe that Littlefinger is the one. Until his uses with Joffrey are Yeah, done. and I, I don't know if this is the show or the books, but characters do remark that even Varys was surprised. So showing that he had nothing to do with this. Just to make that clear. Yeah, like, the show very explicitly tells you Varys had nothing to do with it. But Littlefinger, definitely. I, I think it's like, I think it basically might be can at this point that Littlefinger has something to do with it. Yeah. And at this point, I want to talk about how is Joffrey allowed yeah. to do this? Because yeah, go on. We should note how Joffrey is in his minority. Is he? Because he's 17 in the show. Well, in the book, books or show, doesn't make a difference because the same thing happens anyway. So yeah. I'm going to assume that in a show, it is a... Cersei later says she's Queen Regent, so it is a Regency Yeah. Show. So he's in his minority. So Joffrey really has no power. Yeah. He should not have been allowed to do this. And I'm going to give you a, a, a few examples. In Westerosi history, during the reign of King Jaehaerys the First Targaryen, yeah, who had a dragon, he had no power in his minority when his mother, Queen Alyssa Valarian, and her and her new husband Rogar Baratheon were dictating everything that was happening in the kingdom. Yeah, there was only one thing that they couldn't stop him from doing, which was marrying his sister Alysanne. But they had to hide on Dragonstone for that. Yeah, and it almost led to a whole confrontation. And then there's another regency that I'm not going to talk about here. Yeah. But basically, that king had no power. He couldn't name everyone in his hand. He couldn't name everyone to the king's guard. Yeah. And let's be clear, the people who became hands and on the king's guard were people that were enemies of his. Yeah. So we should. So how is it that those kings had no power and struggle, but Joffrey on a whim can do whatever he wants? I think that points to Cersei being not as competent as she thinks she is. One, yeah. No, we know that. I, Cersei's definitely not as competent as she thinks. I mean, show Cersei's a little bit more competent, book Cersei, But no. technically, the Kingsguard should not be obeying Joffrey. They should be obeying the Regent and the Hand. Well, I'll say this. When you talk about, like, Jaehaerys and Alicene escaping to Dragonstone, aren't the Kingsguard the ones who protect, try to protect him from the Regency? I'm thinking about the other Regency, which is the more closer precedent. Yeah, that's a little... I won't talk about that now, but that is a little different. But you in know, terms of different. Kingsguard... From like, I think I think it's a little bit like they would follow the king. No, I they're, no, they say we're supposed to fall until you're of age. You're we're supposed to listen to the region in the hand. Yeah, I also think one of the reasons that Cersei doesn't do anything or can't do or gives up easily is because this is very public. Yeah, the king just means or much like we talked with Catelyn in the last one, you can't question your son in front of them because that will make him look weak. And even that we were talking about this with Lysa, you can't bring you can't bring Tyrion out to the public. You have to do it privately, yeah. So you can't do something that would force your hand. Certainly, Cersei should have made it a private ceremony, but they wanted the whole kingdom to see. Yeah. But now I want to talk about this because I just realized that it was a coup of Joffrey's. 
And I wanted to note how there coups like this have happened. And I was thinking about this wasn't the history thing that I was going to talk about. Yeah. But I was thinking Edward the Third. Yeah. So he was under the regency of his mother, Isabella of France. The she wolf. And Roger Mortimer. And eventually when he became of age though, it was when he was of age, he was able to sneak men to the castle they were staying in, drag his mother and lover out of the bed, and then take power for himself. Yeah. But that was when he reached majority. Joffrey's still a minor. Yeah. So again, the question is raised, how can he just do this? Yeah. And again, I guess it's just Cersei's incompetent. What was the other historical example? Oh, this is not about this. Oh, okay, okay. It's coming in a little bit. Gotcha, so two different things. But yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely see the coup of Joffrey through Littlefinger's instigation. Because mm-hmm. he definitely seems to be getting rewarded for stuff like this, like, yeah. in the oh, future. Definitely. I mean, it doesn't happen right away, but he definitely sees that coming. And then another, I have a lot of points, I'm so sorry. No, go on, this is, this is the scene. My next question I want to ask is, why does Arya like the people of King's Landing or feel bad about <laughs> in season 8? She shouldn't. So I'm Arya's not, saying, psychotic. I'm not, I'm not saying whether we should or shouldn't, I'm just saying Arya is unstable that, by that point. And, why, and I don't understand why she doesn't hold a grudge against the people that jeered and cheered for her father's head. In fairness to Arya... The show is very incompetent when it comes to actually portraying Arya. So some woman like she's psychotic and irrational, and other things like, oh, she's actually a good guy. No, they they, they don't pick a lane. They wanted to make her look better than Daenerys, but I think oh, uh, definitely. But they they're very bad at picking a lane for Arya. So for me, it's not like oh, she's obviously psychotic. She is, but the show doesn't like is very wishy washy on her. But that. I personally think that the show version of Arya would actually be glad that King's Landing was burned. Book as far as I'm aware, book Arya would be in King's Landing, and then she sees one person she recognizes from the crowd, and be like, I'm done. Yeah. Like, you know, she's unstable. She doesn't know right, right from wrong. She does not. But that's more of a question for season eight. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a question for this spec. I don't want to even bring that up because this is a very good scene. So I don't want to, like... And now here's my historical thing that I wanted to talk about that okay. I was alluding to. Yeah. Which is that um, this scene always reminded me of Natalie Dormer's scene of Anne Boleyn's execution on the show The Tudors. Oh, yeah. It's a little different, though. Well, yeah. Emblems, I mean, was, the birds flying. Oh, yeah, but she was formally executed. Like, you know, she was. It wasn't like a last oh, minute decision. I'll get there. So, I've since been comparing Amblin's death to Ned Stark's in real life. Yeah. And so there are parallels that I want to make, which is Ned too is beheaded by a sword, which was what Amblin was specifically beheaded by sword. Henry VIII had to get a guy from Calais to do it. it took him forever to get there. Yes, which also points to the fact that he was already determined that she was going to die, but I'll leave that there. So, although he does bend his head down, where Emblin is famously keeps it erect. Yeah, she keeps it, she keeps, stays upright while Ned bends down. Yeah. Okay, so, now this is based more on my own theories on Emblin's execution, but I would really think that Emblin went to her death not knowing she was going to die, like Ned. Yeah, I, you believe that she thought that Henry was going to forget, like, openly pardon And I have her. my reasons why that I wanted to explain. Yeah. So, so like Ned, well, Ned, when he went to die, he didn't know he was going to die either. He went because he thought he was just admitting to treason and then he was going to be exiled. Yeah. So, Anne probably thought there was going to be a pardon to save her. In fact, we know that in the record, she was historically looking behind her a lot. Yeah. As if waiting for a messenger to arrive to announce that she's been pardoned. And she would have been exiled. She thought to France, but she probably would have just gone she thought to she a nunnery. Either, yeah, she either thought she was going, we believe she thought she was going to a nunnery or she's going to be exiled or just like locked away. Yeah. And she would have had to have noticed there was actually no um, executioner on the stand with her. 
Yeah, and now it's because the executioner... The executioner was garbed in regular clothing. We don't know why. I think it was to calm Anne down, but I don't know who when the right man would go to their execution and not to the executioner and be like, oh, that means that they're hiding to make yeah. him feel better. And the sword was hidden as well. The sword was hidden under the straw. Yeah. And then there wouldn't even have been a block because you kept your head erect. So yeah. there wouldn't have even been that sign. It really yeah. would have looked like a bare stage yeah. other than the courtiers up there. But now, here's my favorite part. There was no coffin. Yeah. Like for no Ned, there was nothing. no coffin. And then this goes actually to my next point with that no one for either Ned or Anne actually thought they were going to die. So obviously we already talked about how everyone but Littlefinger was surprised by this turn of events. And the King's Garden. Yeah. All those we talked about the coup. Uh, but it seems like no one thought Anne was going to die either because we know the constable at the Tower of London, William Kingston, did not provide the coffin. Yeah. So then when she was beheaded, they had to go find one, and they couldn't find one. And they had to shove her body into an archer's casket, like for bows and arrows. Yeah. And that's where her body still lays, I think. I believe so. So, I don't know. That's just my theory. I just like making the parallel. I mean, parallel. there's obviously differences. Obviously, Anne Boleyn was formally... Ex- like, like it was. she was tried and condemned to death. Yeah. But there were... But she, I, we believe, and we've analyzed this greatly, that she would have gone to that, the, you know, the scaffold and thought she might actually get off. Because there is reason to believe that she thought she was getting off. There's like, maybe she was led to suspect so, just like Ned was. Yeah. And then I actually have a few more points to make. Yeah, of course. Do you have anything else to say? I mean, honestly, you're doing so well. I don't even think I need to say anything. Go on. Cool. One, I did notice something, though. There were silent sisters in the crowd. I did notice that. And for anyone who doesn't know, silent sisters are like... They take care of the... Yeah. They're like in part of the, the fate of the seven. They basically take care of the dead bodies. They, mm-hmm. like, they, they make sure it's proper for burial and they for like funerals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it seems like at least on some level there was that awareness. Yeah. But I don't know why they would have been aware. because Or it could have been they... just because it was in front of the Sept of Baylor. That's what I was thinking too. But, uh, but very convenient to be pretty. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about the Anne Boleyn spiel. I, just, I knew I wanted to talk about that since we that started was, the podcast. That was great, yeah. Because Anne Boleyn really is such a fascinating historical figure. And I know that I made that parallel for so long that I had to speak it out. Yeah. But then here comes my last point for the episode. Yeah. So. Oh wait, no, I have another one. Okay, <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, yeah, give them both to me. So I, I, love I already, it. I think I already talked about the perspectives where we see them. Did I already talk about that? Like Arya's perspective, how we see multiple, like we see Ned, oh, yeah. Sansa's. Oh, San- we didn't even talk about Sansa. No, we didn't. Do you want to talk about Sansa? I mean, I don't have much to say, but like <laughs> watching her like scream for her father's life is absolutely devastating. Like, she really thought he was going to survive. And another Anne Boleyn comparison, you can watch the other Boleyn girl, which is an okay movie, but the execution seems pretty good. In the movie, Scarlett Johansson, who's Mary Boleyn. Yeah, she believes that Anne's going to be, like, the king told her, I'm going to spare Anne's life. And then he didn't. Which is not historically accurate. We just think, it was, we, we think a little differently than how Philip Gregory thought, but like, and Mary Boleyn wasn't even there. But anyways, it's kind of like that. Like, she thought her sister was getting off, and then she's told the last minute that's not happening. Mm-hmm. So, Watching her devastation and realization that this is like that. Like, watching the kings hold her back while no one does anything but, like, listen to her screams. Like, like how can you do that? Like, you know, Cersei is staying right next to her, letting it happen. Varsa and Littlefinger, who, like, loves Sansa. Like, and Catelyn. Yeah, and, like, just like, Littlefinger, you're the worst. Umbridge is worse. I mean, he's, like, I'm, we're not going to go there. He is so bad. Like, like she's, like, begging for her father's life, and you instinct, and you're literally smirking. Like I'm like I hate the scene that we die, but I'm so glad they do it. I'm so glad that Sansa is a part of it. 
I get your throat cut for like. Yeah. Yeah. I Give mean, your last two. Yeah. No, no, I just. I. I mean, Sansa's only thinking that my father's about to die. Yeah. Or like everyone else is thinking the political disaster. Yeah. Sansa's the only one. And Arya, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Arya's being kept back, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was she going to do? Yeah. And the birds flying, which is where I thought about the Amberlynn yeah. one. Oh, and then Ned. We didn't even talk about Ned in oh, this scene. My final point is Ned. Oh, go on, because I have something to say about Ned, too. Well, you say it. So. Why everyone's like everything's happening? People are like people are thinking the political damage. Oh, wait, I think I know where you're going. Like we see Ned and everything goes silent. Yeah, I, I and Sean B actually revealed that he was praying in the end. Mm-hmm. I think basically Ned just like at least in the beginning of the episode he was ready to die. Yeah, he I, accepted it. I actually I'm gonna get into that. Yeah, do it. So first I'm gonna I already did the perspective one, so I'm gonna move on yeah. to that. So as you said, Ned in the beginning did tell Varys, "You grew up with actors. I grew up with soldiers. I've learned how to die a long time ago." But the best part is that Ned doesn't seem to be afraid to die. He's more afraid for his daughters. Yeah. So the last thing he does is looks out to the crowd and yeah. sees Arya's gone. Once he sees his daughter is safe, yeah, he does the, he does his he does his duty and, and bends his neck neck down. Yeah. He already knew how to die. He was raised by soldiers after all. I got chills. That that's so sad that he he's accepted it like. I wonder if he was thinking of, like... I know he's praying, but do you think he ever thought of, like, Catelyn and Rob and stuff in the end? Uh, he had. I think his immediate thought was his daughters who were... Because they were the most dangerous. Yeah. I mean, Sansa's screaming right there. He, I think he purposely tunes her out. I think the reason that the, we get we tune out is because Ned tunes her out. Like, yeah. he's like, I have to, like, just get through this moment. Yeah. My last moment. This moment changed everything. It changed television history. This is where the idea that anyone can die at any time comes yeah. from. At least, honest, in the, at least in the early seasons. I mean, just in TV in general. Oh, yeah. Well, not every show, but yeah. No, but like, the shows where this stuff happens, like, this is really where it set that up. Yeah. And honestly, it's one of the best scenes in television history, and I stand by that. Yeah, I mean, it's, ter- it's terrible to watch, but it, it every time it makes, it, it does its job. It's it's gr- it's great to watch, but it's sometimes, like, not great to watch, but it's like, it's a scene that should be remembered in television history. Even though the, the ending of the show is not great, Moments like this are deserved to be remembered. Yes. That's it for this episode with Baylor. So, yeah. Uh, before we go, I just want to say that we're going to close the episode, but then I have something else to say that's going to be spoilers, massive spoilers, major spoilers. Major. Like, this is not season one stuff happening. It's like for, for House of the Dragon. Yeah. This major will, spoilers. Major. Like, this, like, if you don't know and you don't want to know, this so, could ruin the whole show. For you. So we're going to close up the episode, and then we're going to wait 10 seconds. Yes, 10 instead of 5 for you to get out. Yeah. And then I'm going to talk about this a little bit, because there's something I do want to talk about. Yeah. If you don't want to hear spoilers, now is the time we're going to close the episode and then get out. Yeah. If, if you, you want to listen. If you read Fire and Blood, and you know what, like, that's if you, fine. If you read Fire and Blood, then, you, then you're then you fine. But if you want to go into the show completely blind, this will, like, spoil everything. Yeah. So please, if that's true... This is your moment to leave. We're going to conclude. Then you're literally going to have another 10 seconds to get out. Yeah. So we'll be back in two weeks with the, the final episode of season one. Finally, Fire and we're, Blood. We're almost there. Yeah. Called Fire, Fire and Blood, Blood. Which is like. It's a good the, episode. It's like the aftermath of the death of Ned and everything that happened this episode. And it's definitely. I feel like I say this every time. Definitely one of the better ones of mm-hmm. like the show. Yes. As a whole. Better season finales too. Yeah. I don't want to say it. But it's probably. It's pro- I don't know. I'm not going to go there. But yeah, so we'll be back in two weeks. Um, 
please um, like our podcast and subscribe. It really does help against the algorithm. Leave a good review if you want, if, if you want, or if, if you think we're doing good. You can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, right? And Anchor, yes. That's Anchor, too. We're currently on Anchor. Yes, Anchor, too. And, um, yeah, follow us on Instagram. We're back underscore into underscore thrones. <laughs> we're also on Twitter. We do have a Twitter, but I, I mean, I just post very, I just post like the little block there. I mean, it's better follow us on Instagram. I'm bad. I'm better at using Instagram. I'm not really okay. a Twitter person, but I mean, I probably should get better. But okay, yeah. So that's the end. Oh, of and our... we also have um a little website, I believe, on um Medium, I believe. I'll do more research. I have to look in that later. Actually, now I'll just talk about that next time. Cool. And I post, I post like episode blog. I post that our episodes on there too. Yeah. So yeah, come back in two weeks. We we'll look forward to seeing yes. then. So we're gonna end the episode now. So. We'll say goodbye to everyone who wants to leave. So, bye. And now we're going to give you 10 seconds to leave if you don't want to hear any more spoilers. Major spoilers for House of the Dragon. All right, now. Okay. That's a so long now time. We're going to be going into a major spoiler for House of the Dragon, which I'm going to go into slowly in case you didn't get out yet. So, what I'm thinking is that Ned's execution scene that they did in this show, not the book version, the show version, should be paralleled in a specific character's death that I am about to reveal in five, four, three, two, one, and it is Rhaenyra Targaryen. Yes. So, in her death is pretty brutal. Yeah. Should I say how? You have to say how. She's fed to a dragon while her son watches. By her half-brother. Yes. And her son is held back by a Kingsguard knight while he screams and tries to get to his mother. Yeah. So, seeing as that is very similar to how this show went with Ned Stark. Like being, being held back. Yeah, I can see like the them, fainting. I can see like I can see young Aegon screaming for his mother to be spared, and I can see like Aegon like being like a hot, like Aegon the second smirking like a little smirking. Fuck. I can see the King's Guard like holding him back, like the young Aegon and people, like, you know, and like Rhaenyra's ladies in waiting, kind of like sadly watching, and then I can see Rhaenyra like tune them all out, and just like take like like close her eyes and just accept her death. Like and, the then, do. and then he, her son would probably faint. I would, yeah. Because he watched. Yeah. So Traumatized him. Yes. So that's basically what I wanted to say. So I mean, I'll say this too, though, in terms of that, though, it depends on how they portray Rhaenyra. I think their portrayer is good. I think they should portray her as good, but there are fans out there who are Team Green, which is like, we're not Team Green at all. We're Team Black all the way, if you know what we're talking about. If so, you didn't, you should have left by now. There, those people, some of them say like Rhaenyra is Cersei Lannis. Like, so they think she's bad. So some people might think that her death is justified, which, I mean, it, it's not. Um, I think Allison is the um, worst one, yes. I mean, Allison's the one who started the war. I don't care what anyone says. She's literally the one who started the Dance of Dragons. Like, Rhaenyra just had to defend her honor and her throne. Sorry. It's not yeah. controversial to say, by yeah. the way. So now that's but, the way... To, oh. So it depends on how the portrayal is. The portrayal is, like, bad, that won't be the case. They'll just... I mean, I, I think the portrayal is gray, so it'll probably be... But they... I don't think I don't know if they're gonna portray like Ned where everything she does is gonna really feel bad for her. They're gonna portray as gray, so I think that's how they should do it. Very like that, instead of like just rushing in, just having like dragon like you know. Yeah. It should be very like a moment in the show. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So that's it. Yeah, that's all we have to say. So, I, I I do like that analysis though. That yeah pairing. So we're gonna leave. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't know how to close the episode because we did our whole closing. So bye. Bye. We'll see you all in two weeks. Two weeks from now. See you then.